Welcome to the Sneaky Dragon Listening Party with my dad and my sister Mary. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Sneaky Dragon Car Talk. My name is Dave the Growler Dedrick. Car Talk? Dad, you do so many podcasts, yes. you're getting them mixed up. I am getting, I'm getting them mixed up. Welcome. This is my daughter, Mary, the Growler Junior Dedrick. Today, we're going to be looking at the Yugo. Nope. No? No. Dad. That popular this is... Yugoslavian car. Nope. This no? is, that's not, we're not on Car Talk. Okay. We are on Sneaky Dragon Listening Party. Oh, my gosh. I'm getting so mixed up. Yeah. I got... You have too many podcasts. I lost my agenda the other day. You've had... How... Wait. Mm? Six podcasts now? Six podcasts? Yeah. Um. Yes. Six podcasts? Yep. No, I think more than that. No, six podcasts. Six. Got this? Yeah. The OG, Sneaky Dragon. <laughs> Fansplainers. Yes. And then your limited series of Totally Tintin, uh, Completely Beatles, and uh, Full Marks. Oh. All right. Six. You're forgetting our, our new sidecast that we're doing, apparently, that we inserted on the last episode of Sneaky Dragon. Mm-hmm. Thoroughly Thoral. <laughs> what? So, so, oh. It's all about Thoral Ravenscroft, the uh, voice of Tony the Tiger and oh. the singer of You're a Mean One, Mr. Grinch. Oh. Yeah. Sounds very limited. It's very limited, indeed. Yeah. Sounds like a two episode. No, no. We're searching <laughs> out to 14. Oh. Yeah. That seemed, that's... Well, he was also the voice of Monstro in Pinocchio. Oh, okay. Okay. And he's done other things as well. Gotcha. So I think we can Monster make it. Monstro is not a very lo- big role. In I think we can Pinocchio, make it but... into at least twenty-eight episodes. Okay. Yeah. Do you think the Do you think the listeners will be able to hear the chickens? Maybe we have our we have our window open again, everyone, because uh, um, it's dusty. It's dusty. Oh, you know what I was going to do right here? What? I'm just going to insert right now uh-huh. what it sounded like last episode. So just one second. Oh, the rain. Here we go. Yeah, so that's what it sounded like last episode. It was just <laughs> madness. It's amazing how much absolute racket I, the uh, the sound, yeah, like the noise reduction out. takes out. Yeah, it's crazy. I mean, that's the thing, right? As long as it's consistent, mm-hmm. it can take it out. Yeah, yeah. Um, I forgot that last week recorded in um not a last flood, week, but but last by last week episode yeah. we recorded in a flood. We saw Noah's Ark <laughs> go by, and also the power went out. That's right. I forgot about that. That's right. That's why I played the the unicorn by the Irish Rovers during the episode. Celebrate the the arc going by. Okay. I didn't really. No. We didn't really see an arc either, but it was very, very rainy and we lost the power and it was a very exciting episode, I thought. It was. I mean, at least it was episode to, or episode. Well, exciting to live through Actually, it. it was exciting for us. For the listeners, it sounded exactly the same, I think, because yeah. I just like cut everything out that was in any way. Uh, besides just mentioning that we'd lost the power uh, and that it was raining out. You really couldn't tell if you listened to the episode. It was kind of, It was pretty... Uh, it's pretty low key. Yeah, we low key mayhem. We didn't like. Uh, um, I was gonna say something and I forgot. <laughs> okay. <laughs> we didn't record with the equivalent of like a flashlight in front of our face to make it look like we're spooky. That's right. Out in the woods. That's or, right. We, we yeah. kept it. Uh, we kept it. Uh, I guess there's not really like an audible representation of the power being out. There's no. <laughs> You know, like you can't really, you yeah. can't really do anything in the podcasting medium to express that other than saying, "Oh, the power's out." Well, no, it's true, and it's funny. Like here, it was kind of dramatic because it actually went like, woo, woo, like I mean, like a noise like that. Mm-hmm. But it's not audible on the on in the no. show. Like all you hear is you talking, and then it cuts out. Yeah, you know, 
So, mm-hmm. but to us, it was very exciting because you know we had that dramatic moment of like, right. you should have put is in, it coming back on? Oh, it's not. You should have put in like a like on in movies and stuff, and the power goes out, and then yeah. like, there's like the flicker of like the generator starting back up. <laughs> yeah, like, yeah, you, sh- you should have put that in yeah. right before we start talking again. I guess I should have. I put in some intermission music though. Oh, did you? Oh, yeah. good, good. I do not listen to the episodes because I can't hear myself talk. You can't. No. It's just this at a, a frequency you don't hear. Yeah. <laughs> no, I. You can't listen sorry, to yourself I talk. I choose to not listen to myself talk. Yeah, yeah. I understand. Yeah. It's painful. It's painful for me. I have to edit these shows. Oh. And the whole time, I'm just like, who I is that big dummy talking that. with me? <laughs> what? <laughs> <laughs> no, I just the whole time I'm just like, oh man, I sound like so stupid. What am I doing? Who's this know-it-all idiot talking? Yeah, it's like... I've kind of got over it now over the years. Right. But I can't go back. Like, I've never listened to... I've never actually ever listened to an episode of Completely Beatles. Really? Not a, not a bit of it. Because hmm. I would just... I would just, like... If there's any sort of thing that was, like, maybe Ian dropped a swear word or, or something happened, I would just note on a piece of paper the time. Oh, okay. I would fix it. Mm-hmm. Just go exactly to that spot, fix it. Right. Truncate silence. And not worry about... Well, I'd have to take it, like, I'd have, I'd have to bleep out the... The swear or whatever. Yeah. And but then, yeah, sorry, but truncate silence, do that and then. No, 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 it. no, no, no. Change it first because then you have the accurate time marks. Oh, If oh, you right, truncate right, right. silence, okay, it changes sorry. all your time marks. So, oh, yeah. Okay. So, you got to do that do first. That, and then truncate silence and then post it. And then, yeah, cut, cut off the beginning. And, right. So, I would just like cut off, cut us off talking, mm-hmm. you know, add the theme to the, the intro and outro themes. Yeah. Uh, if I needed to do any editing middle, I'd do that first and then just out it goes. There you go, everyone. <laughs> So yeah, all those were like that. I just cannot. If I can get away with that, I won't listen to the show. My problem is with Sticky Dragon, for instance, is I, is I have to. I've made it for myself now that I have to go through and and pluck the topics and little things we talk about during the episode. So I have made it easier for, for myself by like jumping in two minute marks. Right. So I'll just listen like two, four, whatever, mm-hmm. and then just write down what we're talking about, and then just keep moving, 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 moving. Right. And then make any changes I need to make. But if I. Uh, yeah, if I can get away with it, I, I... Anyway. So, Mary. Yes. Father. This is the second side of mm-hmm. the second disc. Mm-hmm. Wait. Oh, yes. No, yep. No, I'm good. Okay. <laughs> second side of the second disc CD made for... Pierce Johnson. Yep. And now, I was maintaining at the beginning of the CD that that I felt like it was... It, it reeked of desperation. I don't know if you said that exactly. And you disagreed with me. After listening to the first half. After listening to the first half. Yes. But what did the second half make you think? <clears throat> um, you know how Sloan has a compilation CD called yeah. A-Sides Win? Okay. Which is all their A-Sides? Yeah. I feel like this is B-Sides Win. <laughs> this is like your B-Sides. It was like a second side of the second CD and you just put on all the B-Sides. Is that right? That's kind of what it felt like. Yeah. Yeah. Just like a lot of stuff that I was just kind of like, eh. I was kind of like, every song I was kind of like, Okay. <laughs> well, that was my re- 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 reaction to it when I when I re-listened to it. Which is, <clears throat> I think is, I mean, I'm not saying that the songs were bad. No, like, I don't think... overwhelmingly. Mm-hmm. I think a lot of the choices were peculiar, uh-huh. right? Yeah, yeah. Um, But, and there were, you know, we'll, we'll get into it. Like, I wasn't the biggest fan of all the songs yeah, on the second yeah, side. Yeah. But I felt like the first side was very strong. Yeah. And then it kind of fell off a little bit in the second side. Well, you know, when I would, when I would make, I think I was just kind of like trying to pump them out by this point. Right. 
And I noticed I was looking at sorry my... Pierce. What's that? I said sorry, Pierce. Sorry, Pierce. Yeah. <laughs> I think I, I was looking at my um, my list of my, my list of mixtapes. I you know I noted down what I wrote, what I put in every one, and then I put the date beside a, a lot of them. Some of them I didn't, which I was silly. But anyway, and I noticed that when I finished this one for Pierce, mm-hmm. I didn't do anything more for not till the, I think I finished this one in September. Okay. Of 2017. Mm-hmm. And I didn't do anything again until January. Oh, okay. Of, of uh, or sorry, 2016 of of, of uh, September 2016, and I didn't do anything until January of 2017. Okay. So obviously needed a break that right. I just had to kind of run out of out of gas. Mm-hmm. I needed to sort of you know because this is it's a sort of thing would happen anyway when you do a mixtape. You start off with like some ideas of what you want to put on it, right? Mm-hmm. You have like you have at least your first couple songs in yeah. mind, and then you kind of go from there, and you. You you look for songs that, or you have songs in the back of your head that you you want to put on it, and you you think of those as you're going, and you kind of add them, and 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 then as you go, you kind of build it up, and maybe you'll take some off and put some on, and, and change it around a little bit. And that's the same if you're making any kind of mixtape. You'll start off, and then generally you'll kind of have a falling off as you as you make your tape, and you know you are, but you just kind of finish it, and then you can go back in and make corrections to mm-hmm. it like re-record stuff like which i would often do with mixtapes that i made in the past and in fact when i when i got i think i've talked about this before but when i got a mini disc player i used that to make mixtapes i would use that to create the cassettes i would basically create the cassettes on mini tapes right or mini discs yeah because i didn't have a mini disc player in the in the car i hadn't i didn't have any kind of aux plug-in mm-hmm. so i couldn't plug my mini disc player into, yes. into into the stereo system so what i would do is i would i would i, I calculated to the second how using using the t- timer on my cassette deck huh. how long the cassette was so say it was cuz usually it'll say 45 minutes but it, for per side right for a 90 minute right. cassette but quite often they're like 46 minutes and 11 seconds or something like that oh, okay and so then i would know exactly how long i needed it to be and so i would use the mini disc as a way to make it and because the mini disc was digital you could uh, erase and insert songs without having to re-record everything you could just move things around and edit on the fly inside your deck. Right. And so I would carefully construct each side of the of the cassette mm-hmm. on mini disc. Then I would record it onto cassette. You know. Then I would drive around with it for a few days and I'd listen yeah. to it. And then I'd be like, mm, "This song isn't really working for me now. Like I've heard it a few times and I, I don't like it anymore. It doesn't. It's not working there." So yeah. I would go back. I would just go back into the mini disc and then I would take off that song and then I would, you know, re-edit it and then I just re-record it onto the cassette again. Right. And so. That's that's how I would construct them. So I think with with poor Pierce's in poor Pierce's case here, <laughs> uh, I just you know I just wanted to get them out there because I was feeling guilty about how long it was taking me, and so I hit this wall, and then I just kind of like pushed through it. <laughs> and I know I still listened to this in the car and drove around with it, and, yeah. I, and I liked it. I think I actually do remember hearing this one in the car because mm, okay. I definitely remember hearing some of the songs on here. Bad romance in the car with you. Hearing what? Sorry? The bad bad romance. Okay. In the car. Okay. What's bad romance? Isn't that the um the Lady Gaga cover? Oh, uh, poker face. Oh, poker face. Oh, sorry, sorry. I got those. Yeah, yeah. The Lady Gaga song mixed up. Okay, okay. Uh, yeah, yeah. I'm yeah. I just drove around, but you know, and it was it was yeah. It was like okay, this is good enough. I guess I thought, and there's parts of it I like a lot. Mm -hmm. I just kind of feel like it doesn't hold together. It doesn't have like that kind of like big moment to the side. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like there's lots of little good songs, mm-hmm. but there's no like big ender. There's no like, I don't know. It just, it, and, to, and, if, and the final song, it just kind of ends like a pancake. Mm-hmm. So I just like flat. Like I just felt like there's no like moment where you're just kind of like, like the other side, you've got, you know, it opens with 
uh, the nerves. It opens with like a strong yes. power pop song, real high energy song, mm-hmm. and then it ends. I think you mean the worms. <laughs> and then it ends. <laughs> it ends with with Chilliwack with Fly at Night, which yes. is it's kind of great classic oh, yeah. classic rock song. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, good good guitar solos and a, you know real kind of like you know anthemic song and yes. a good good side ender, right? Whereas this song, this album starts, I think, with a good song. It starts with like a good poppy song. Yeah, and people will hear that it's kind of thematic and that both songs on both sides are telephone related and both of them open with the sound effect of the telephone. Oh, okay. Yeah. And that was kind of one thing I wanted to do with it is have that little bookend or, or book beginner, I guess I should say, like so, have one, each side start with this, with this. And I thought that was kind of fun. Uh, you know, and I like all the songs on this, on this album. Every, every one of the songs I was like excited to put on it. There's a chicken leg and an egg outside. Yeah. Yeah. Good sounds. Good sounds. Makes it all worthwhile. All this fussing. Every night, listeners, dear listeners, I have to go outside and pick up the chickens from our stairs. Yes. Because they choose, for some reason, to go up the stairs and sleep there rather than going into their safe home. Yeah, exactly. Uh, where they've already been attacked by a raccoon once. Otherwise, On I wouldn't. Stairs. Yeah, I wouldn't worry about it if. if if that had never happened, I probably would just leave yeah. them out there and not, and just whatever. Yeah. You dum-dums. But yeah, because of that, I have to like every night go out. I have to, no matter what it is. Like, you know, one night I went, I got like, I took a shower, got under my pajamas. Yeah. was climbing into bed and then I looked outside and I realized, oh, the chickens are still out there. <laughs> Damn. So then I had to like go, you know, go downstairs. Yeah. Put on my shoes, go yeah, outside. Put on your bring jacket the, probably. Uh, and I didn't bother with that. But pick up these, these uh, dumb chickens, put them into yeah. their, their thing and they don't like me picking them up as well so no, it's always like a not. it's like a little battle They're like and then they like grab your hand with their little feet <laughs> no gloves. they don't do that because i hold them a different i guess i hold them in a way. <laughs> and i kind of turn them upside down as oh, i carry yeah. them but they're uh yeah anyway so this is worth it the eggs make it all worth it yes anyhow at least you oops, don't sorry. have a rooster mm. because roosters contrary to what people believe yeah they do not just crow when the sun rises <laughs> they crow at three o'clock in the morning oh they crow at 8 p.m they crow all day all oh. night all the time wow constantly wow it's a nightmare <laughs> so mayor yes uh i'm gonna end i just i just decided i had been thinking about this before but i've decided since i end this this cd with a with a real flat pancake of a song at the end of it Mm-hmm. I I'm gonna add one extra song to kind of end anthemically at the end of the end of this episode with a big a big finish. Yeah, but that's that'll be the end. Okay. Let's start now. Let's start now and let's start talking about. Let's get real. That's mm-hmm. what I'm trying to say. Okay. This is real talk with Mary and Dave. Right. And not car talk anymore. Not car no, talk. It's real talk. Not with the growler and the growler junior. Why? What's a growler? Isn't that? I don't know. Okay. It's like a car. You know, like a car. It has like a. The engine growls. growls, yeah. A growler is also something that you um, can get beer in. Yeah. Yeah. No, I prefer the engine growling. Okay. Dave the growler, Dedrick. I'm just letting you know that it's also, a, you know, an, an alcohol uh, You know what? That's thing. the English language, Mary. Yes. Everything has every everything has different meanings, yep. right? Yep. You're right. There you go. I suppose. I guess. No, not really. What do you mean? Mary, for instance. Here's the name. Mm-hmm. It is also an act that people can get married mm-hmm. to Mary. Yes. Right? My name is... Uh, a name? Yes. A and verb? A verb, yeah. And an a- adjective. Adjective, yeah. Yeah. There you go. It's a confusion of the English language. Yeah. So let's start. Okay. With a uh, musician I like a lot. Um, he was uh, an oasis of greatness. Is it I, the band I, Oasis? No, 
Oh, he okay. was an oasis. Uh, using that as a metaphor. That's a metaphor. Yeah. He was an oasis of of enjoyable music when I was a kid. When music for me on the radio wasn't that great. Right. When I was growing up, there was two kinds of people. There was people who liked to dance. Okay. And then there was me. Okay. That's the that's the one that's the only criteria right. to human beings at that time in my life. Great. People who like to dance. Yeah. People who like to ask the gym teacher if they could take their shoes off and dance in the gym in their socks. Well, we had a music room. Oh. So instead of doing music, which involved playing the ukulele and singing yeah. songs like Detergent. Okay, yes. Detergent, detergent, it makes your laundry white. It backs up in your water pipes. You drink it day and night. See, it's a fun song to sing and also has an important message. Hmm. Shouldn't wash your clothes. So then... <laughs> this is an, that is an important message. <laughs> so then... We sang in my oh, okay. uh, in my choir yeah. class. Yes. We sang a lot of very old songs. Okay. We sang Oh My Darling Clementine. Classic. And we sang 16 Tons. What do you get? Another Day Older and Deeper in Debt. That's true. Um, yeah, those are the two that I remember singing. We also sang one about a donkey. Okay. Or something. I don't know. I don't really remember that one. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, I, a lot of the time I have no idea what the songs are called. So was it was it Hey Hey We're the Donkeys? That was it. Okay. Yep, you got it. <laughs> <laughs> um, mostly the girls would always request the music teacher if we could play records and have a sock hop because we would take off our shoes so we mm-hmm. wouldn't mar the carpet. Yep. And generally, she would agree. Right. Because it is way easier. Oh, yeah. Letting the kids dance totally. for, for an hour like, than having to do like... Them. And also, I imagine easier on the ears. Yes. Easier on the old ears. Yeah. Not having to listen to kids play. <laughs> yeah. But because because I was so introverted and shy, mm-hmm. I just couldn't dance. Cause You're a, a wallflower. I did. Well, I was new to the school too, so I didn't... Yes. I was, in, I was suddenly plucked from a non-dance culture into a dancing culture. Mm. Like, we didn't have sock hops at my you, old elementary school. You grew school. up in the town from uh, Footloose. That's right. That's right. Exactly. John Lithgow was you, the local preacher. Yeah, you moved to a new town and you were like, put uh, baby in a corner. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, I was like, the I went, unfoot loose, unfoot loose, let's all get like a goose. I don't know the lyrics of that song, obviously. <laughs> yeah. But... I just yeah I was the I was the one who's like let's stop dancing let's bring this dancing and fun to an end. <laughs> That's actually how that John Lithgow character started. It wasn't that his wife died in a mysterious dancing incident. Right. It was that he went to a school when he was younger that had a, a dance culture was and he she... was in no way prepared for it. Right. Was she affected by the dancing plague? She uh, got a really bad 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 uh, cramp in her thigh from doing the Charleston for too long. Oh. Yeah. And that killed her. Killed her dead. Wow. I know it was that bad. Yeah. She must have really been dancing. And the Charleston. Yeah. Hmm. Doesn't seem like a dance that you could get da, da, really da, da, hurt da, da, doing, da, da, da. but okay. <laughs> I obviously have never seen Footloose and don't know the backstory to the characters. Oh, that's in that, fair. I've also movie. never seen Footloose. Exactly. I've seen a lot of parodies of that one dance that he does. <laughs> you know what? I saw that movie in the theater. Footloose? Yeah. Oh. Wait, so you have seen Footloose? I have seen Footloose, yeah. You just don't remember anything about it? I don't remember it. anything about okay. it. Okay. Yeah. yeah. This is like my memory for lyrics. Uh, so it was probably because there's music in that movie, so I don't remember the music music lyrics. So I just don't, all the words have gone out of me. As yeah, well. that makes sense. It's also why you don't remember anything about singing in the rain. So, so disco music wasn't for me at this at that age. Right. Like you know, it wasn't wasn't music designed for me. And my brother was really into it. Mm-hmm. So that meant I had to like separate myself from my brother. Okay. I had to not be part of that herd. Right. I had to go join a different herd. Uh huh. The non-dancing herd. The non-dancing herd. And so 
Yeah, I became really I I really liked like the power pop that was played on the on the radio station at that time on CKL, CKLG LG seventy three. Okay, was kind of the the new wave radio station of that right. time. Like they played the B fifty twos Rock Lobster. Mm-hmm. They played I don't know who else they played Echo Beach Martha and the Muffins. You know just stuff like that, right? Like sure. Canadian great Canadian band. So Nick Lowe was part of that sound when I was growing up, and this song actually. And actually, it's quite popular in Canada. This song, this song actually performed as a single. It reached number eighty-one in Canada, and and didn't even like break the top one hundred in the states. But yeah, so let's listen to the song, which I've been talking about around this song, but haven't mentioned it. Maybe people who know Nick Lowe well know what I'm talking about when I mention that it has sound of 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 a phone at the beginning, because this is Switchboard Susan by Nick Lowe. This comes from his album Labor of Lust from 1979. So let's give it a listen, everyone. Sweat spot, Susan, won't you give me a line?
And we're back. Mary? Yes. So, was this one of the problematic songs for you on this album? Uh, no, I liked this one. I thought it was fun. Yeah, it's a fun song, isn't it? Yeah. Um, we've talked about Nick Lowe, and we've talked about Nick Lowe's band Rockpile on the show before. This was, like much of Nick Lowe's production at this time period, this was his actually a second uh, solo album, and was recorded with the uncredited Rockpile. And we've mentioned this before. The reason that it was uncredited was because Dave Edmonds was signed to Led Zeppelin's label Swan Song, mm-hmm. and Nick Lowe was signed... I don't know if he was still signed to Stiff at this point when he did this album, but he was signed to Stiff. Later went with his manager, Jake Riviera, and who started a, a label, I think, called Demon Records. And, and, uh, and Nick Lowe followed him there, as well as Elvis Costello, who is also a Jake R- Riviera client. And But because of that con- contractual difficulty, Nick Lowe and Dave Edmonds could not play on each other's albums in accredited capacity. Right. So even though they played together in a group that they call Rock Pile, and they toured together mm-hmm. outside of their albums, they played together as a group. So it was Nick Lowe on bass, Dave Edmonds on guitar, Billy Bremner on guitar, and Terry uh, Terry Williams on drums. They played all the time together. They just could not, on records, they could not be credited as Rock Pile. They could only like be as guest artists on each other's records. Right. Um, so this album also contained Nick Lowe's biggest American hit, uh, which was Cruel to be Kind. Yes. Which reached number 12. Yeah. So year. do you like the song better than Cruel to be Kind? No, I love Cruel to be Kind. But I feel like more people know Cruel to be Kind than they would, might know this song. Yes. This song was, like I say, it it did kind of reach the up, you know, near the top 100 in, in the United States mm-hmm. and in the upper reaches of the top 100 in Canada. Right. But I feel like it's just kind of like a not well-known song that, uh, it's a really good song. And it's just too bad that for whatever reason, it just didn't catch on. It uh, wasn't written by Nick Lowe, though. It was written by a guy named Mickey Jupp. Okay. Who was also signed to Stiff Records. And whose first solo album for Stiff Stiff Records, which was called Japanese. And it has the most offensive album cover you've ever seen. Well, not the the most offensive album cover you've ever seen. Because there are heavy metal album covers from the 70s. Right. Like Scorpions and stuff like that. But... It's up there. It's up there. It's him sitting at a table with a bunch of, like, Chinese food in front of him. Mm -hmm. Making slanty eyes with his... Exactly. It's too bad. It's of its time. Yeah. I did the same thing when I was a kid growing up. We had our little hilarious thing, Chinese, Japanese, dirty mm-hmm. knees. But what are these? And it was hilarious. It made fun of Japanese, Chinese, and women for having breasts. Yes. It was great. Yeah. It was a great thing. The, you know what? Yeah. Um, that was around when I was in elementary school, too. Sure. <laughs> it, so it still existed. It's, it, <laughs> those, things, those things last forever. It has legs. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah. So, it's not a great album cover, but it is a great album. Yeah. It's a really good album. Mm-hmm. He sings in, He sings in very much... Uh, because, you know, the thing about, like, Rockpile and Nick Lowe and all those people is that they are, like, mysterious escapees of pub rock that somehow were able to get enough velocity to escape the black hole of pub rock and mm. and blast into the new wave thing that kind of that kind of grew out of pub rock but left it behind in such a way that, you know, bands that were kind of stuck in that scene really were trapped there and couldn't get out. Right. You know, and there's some... Some bands were able to, Graham Parker, for instance, Nick Lowe, obviously, Rockpile, Dave Edmonds, uh, Mickey Jupp to a degree, were able to, like, Elvis Costello, for sure, mm-hmm. were able to, like, you know, mis- massage their image in a way that made them m- more, more palatable as a new wave act than as a, than what they, what they were before. Because right. Nick Lowe mm-hmm. was playing in a band called Kippington Lodge in the, in the late 60s. Mm-hmm. Okay. You know, so the idea that he's some new wave guy. 
Yeah. You know, like 10 years later, mm-hmm. he's an old man. <laughs> right? Yeah. Like in rock and roll terms, I mean. Mm-hmm. You know, this is like the police, right? Andy Summers was playing with, he was playing with uh, Eric, Eric Burden in, a, in the, the New Animals in the, in the late 60s. And then here he is in the late 70s as this bleach blonde dude in, in the police, you know, pretending that he's young. And it, but he, he's blonde. He fooled us all. He's blonde, though. He fooled us all. I was fooled. You were fooled. Old we're all fooled. Old people are blonde. <laughs> exactly. And so, so yeah. So it's just it's really interesting to me that some some bands just couldn't make the make the switch, and other others could. So Jap actually. Um, so yeah, the reason I bring up Jap, Japanese is because Nick Lowe produced the first side of that album, and Rockpile were the backing musicians on it. Okay. And. But Jupp was another guy who was an old timer. He started playing in bands in 1962. Mm-hmm. He was in a band called the Orioles. And then they kind of went nowhere. So he was out of music for a while. And then he, in the late 60s, he started a band called Legend. And they, uh, they signed to the American label Bell Records, mm-hmm. which I think we've mentioned before having signed a British actor. And I can't remember who it was. Um, yeah. And probably the same thing sort of happened to Legend, which is that you're the label you signed to, all their they're headquartered in the United States. And they're not even like a big record company in the States. They're like a small, you know, small go getter label. I mean yeah. Bell Bell had the fifth dimensions. Right. You know, and like Tony Orlando and Dawn and stuff like that. So they had big acts. Mm-hmm. But they were never like a huge label. They were just like they just had a label with a couple of big acts. Right. You know, kinda like Scepter with with Dion Warwick and, okay. and uh and BJ Thomas and stuff like mm-hmm. that, right? So you had like some big names, but you didn't, ha- you weren't like a big record label. And no one, no one says, oh, all those labels like RCA, Columbia, mm-hmm. and then Scepter. No one yeah. says, talks like that, right? Like yeah. those aren't the record labels people are thinking about with Capital. You know, th- those are the big labels. Mm-hmm. They're the ones with like a big history. Yeah. And then there's like the little, the little ones that were the little mom and pop record labels that right. kind of were like striving, yes. trying to be up there. Yeah. So they signed Legend and they did, Legend did one album for them and, and uh, self titled. And, and it, you know, it did okay, I guess, but it didn't, it was, it was kind of ahead of its time in a way, because it was sort of like exploring American roots rock, you know, almost before the band were doing it. Mm-hmm. And the album is entirely acoustic. There's no electric instruments on it. And so it's really kind of, it really kind of ahead of itself in a way, but ahead of itself in a bad way in that it, it wasn't interesting to people because they weren't there yet. Everyone was still stuck in psychedelia and right. they weren't ready for this band who were like saying, well, enough, enough, you know, sitars and backwards guitars. Let's just play the banjo. And everyone's like, what? <laughs> so yeah, that, that, uh, so then they, they, uh, did that album. Then basically the whole lineup broke up. And so then Jep re, re, like reformed the band, like not reformed it, but like got a new lineup basically, right. including, uh, this guy named Mo Witham, who had played guitar in the Orioles with him in the early '60s, so he brought this, brought him in. They did it. They did a second album, this time for the Vertigo label, which was another kind of smallish label, but this one was in Britain. And they put in an album that that one, helpfully, also called Legend. Oh. Nothing better than bands putting out albums with the same the same name. Yeah, totally. Over and over again. Yes, because people always want to buy your album. Yeah. If they think that they already own it. <laughs> exactly. Often it's called the Red Boot record because it has a red boot on the cover what a red oh, boot this specific album. yeah this album oh, okay. yeah so then like um like the artist formerly known as prince yes where you're like i guess we have to have some way to distinguish this person <laughs> that's right yes <laughs> we need some way to talk about him yes well he did provide everyone with a font that would correctly put his symbol into their into their into their magazines and stuff like that yeah but how do you say it the artist formerly known as prince 
But that's the thing. You need yeah. people to talk. I know. It's really know? dumb. It was dumb. Like, it was, not only media, was it dumb. Print media is the future. Not only was it dumb. I mean, I can see why he did it. He was really angry at Warner Brothers. Yeah. Who he felt were stifling his creativity by not letting him put out 15 albums a year. Okay. And three album sets. Right. And, you know, and so he was like writing Slave on his cheek and, and you know, de- by changing his name, declaring that he was no longer signed to Warner Brothers and all this kind of right. nonsense, which that's not, how legal, that's not how the law works. No. It was silly, but it also was destructive because it really wrecked his career. Mm-hmm. The problem for artists when they get mad at their label is they only hurt themselves. Yeah. Another example of that would be Graham Parker, who got mad at Mercury Records, did, an, did a song called Mercury Poisoning, okay. to make it clear. But then he put out like this very, very, who cares, uh, contractual obligation album to get out of his contract with Mer- Mercury. But by putting out poor, poor quality content just to get out of a deal, yeah. you're only hurting yourself. You're not hurting the record company. Sure, they don't sell the records, but they don't care about you. Yeah. If a record company doesn't like your record, they will shelve that record. Mm-hmm. They have no problem with not even releasing your album if they don't want to. Yeah. So the idea that you're hurting them by putting out garbage just to get out of your contract, all you're doing is making you're insulting your fans yeah. and wrecking your, hampering your career, which is exactly mm-hmm. what happened to Prince. Prince just like cut himself off from his audience. Yeah. In more ways than just this. There's lots of other issues going on. Yeah. But but, you know, he he created this sort of wall between him and the fans because he was angry at the record company. Mm-hmm. Rather than just gritting his teeth and finish finishing it out like a professional. Yeah. And putting out like good quality content yeah. and keeping his career moving forward, you know So that someone else would want to sign him yeah. later. <laughs> or he could continue on his own, you know, with his own label or whatever. Yeah. But have an audience there. Mm-hmm. You know, but instead he like he left the Warner Brothers in a huff, and then he started selling them online only, records online. He you know, put the Crystal Ball, which is like this three-album dirge. And, you know, it's fine. It has some good songs on it, but also yeah. has lots of garbage on it, yeah. you know? And it's hard to, you know, that's the big problem with the CD in the 90s was that no one understood that the CD wasn't replacing the album. Mm. It was just a more efe- efficient way to listen to records. Yeah. But it wasn't meant to be like everyone suddenly making double albums over and over again. Mm-hmm. No one's that good. Yeah. Like even the Beatles only put out one double album, mm-hmm. you know? And they had two of the most talented, well, should two, three of the most talented songwriters in the world right. and Ringo Starr. Yeah. So they were... <laughs> and Ringo Starr. They were like, you know, and the only thing, you know, like, like, uh, yeah, I mean... The White Album is a huge album. It's, you know, it's huge. It's like 33 songs. It's so long. Yeah. But but it's a double album. You can break it up. Mm-hmm. You can listen to it once. You can listen to one side if you want to and put yeah. it away. You can listen to two sides. Yeah. You can, you can do whatever you want. You can listen to your favorite side with Revolution 9 on it over and over again if all you want. Right. But you, you don't have to listen to all of it. But when you put a CD in, you're kind of stuck. You're kind of stuck with this like interminable, never-ending, best songs at the beginning, slowly dying cd which is you know another example of like self-destruction is when they decided that to kill the album with in the cd era and it wasn't and it wasn't the record companies this was producers people like t-bone burnett and stuff like that who decided just off the top of their head that the cd meant that the album was dead and that they should just now concentrate on cds as a as a song vehicle not as an album vehicle right and it's so destructive because it makes your albums bad. Mm. And by making your albums bad, it makes your career sour. Yeah. And it's 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 hurtful. Anyway, I don't even know how I got on this topic. Um, I mentioned that Prince made his name difficult oh. to pronounce. <laughs> Sorry. This okay. started me on a rant. No, that's all right. Obviously, I'm passionate about this topic. Yeah, apparently. Yeesh. Well, everyone just revealed a little bit about myself. I probably didn't want to reveal. <laughs> 
So yeah, he did a th- wait. What? How dare you talk about music here <laughs> on Car Talk? Exactly. <laughs> You're right, Carlo Jr. I don't know what I was thinking about. Yeah, thanks. Can I change my name? Oh, sure. If I change my name, do I not have to do this podcast anymore? <laughs> <laughs> change your name to not do this podcast anymore? <laughs> no, I said if I change my name, can I get out of my, my contract to this podcast? <laughs> no, it doesn't work though. That's how the law works, right? Damn. You signed a contract. Yeah. You know, you know I can't it. Change my name to the artist, the podcaster formerly known as Growler Junior. <laughs> you could, but this is not going to do anything legally. No, <laughs> not even. I know that you. Uh, by the way, I know you wrote it with slave on your cheek. Yeah. Did you know you used a sharpie? That's not coming off, Mary. Did I also know that this is not a visual medium? <laughs> So, so um, Jep's band Legend, they did one more album mm-hmm. for Vertigo called Moonshine in 72, and then they broke up. So Jep basically, like, once again, kind of left the music industry, returned to his, his hometown of Southend until the rise of pub rock. Because if you listen to those Legend albums, they sound like pub rock. They really are, like, ahead of their time in terms, in terms of, like, the pub rock, pub rock revolution of okay, the early yeah. 70s. And so uh, he came back, started playing music. He wrote... Uh, Dr. Feelgood, who are like kind of one of the one of the kind of premier pub rock bands, he wrote a hit single for them called called Down at the Doctors, and and so yeah, he kind of got back in the music industry that way. The interesting thing about Jep was that he was friends with the band Procol Harum, uh, who you probably might know might know from their song, uh, 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 what was it called? A pale, a whiter shade of pale, a pale shade of white. <laughs> the song a now. whiter shade of pale. Whiter shade not... of pale. That's right. Really? I think that's something like that. Yeah. Whiter... You said it. It sounds better when you say it. Whiter... A whiter shade, shade of pale. pale. Yeah. That's what the song's called. It really is just nonsense. The song, but it was a big the hit. The title's nonsense too. Yeah. Pale is not a color. Oh yeah. It's a. It's a. It's a. It's an interesting song. Uh, it's good though. It's a good song. Procol Harum. P R O C U L Harum. Uh, and he knew them when they were still the Paramounts before they became Procol Harum, and they were still like a a band that sounded like they're from America. And so when Procol Harum's bassist, David Knights, left the band and moved into management, he actually managed Legend. They were, one, they were his first client. And he also produced Moonshine for them, their final album. And then Procol Harum's guitarist, Robin Trower, produced Legend's second single, which also featured, because this single came out after the original band had broken up and there wasn't a, there wasn't a, a lineup yet, uh, except for his, uh, except for Jupp's guitar playing friend, Mo, they, um, it also featured Procol Harum's Matthew Fisher, the keyboardist, and, and B.J. Wilson, the drummer. And then Procol Harum's uh, vocalist, Gary Brooker, produced the second side of Japanese. So Nick Lowe produced side one, and Gary Brooker produced side two. So the first side is Nick Lowe's usual... You know what Nick Lowe's um, nickname was? His nickname was Basher. Basher? Yeah. Why? Because his saying was in the studio was, just bash it out, we'll tart it up later. That was his uh, thing he always said to bands okay. when they started playing. If they were worried about, well, should we put some echo in this or maybe do do do? Just say, just bash it out and we'll turn it up later. Mm. That's how I. Uh, that's also how I, w- I wrote all my essays in university. Yeah, is that right? <laughs> yeah, that's how you should write your anything. Yeah, you should just bash it out and turn it up later. Exactly. Um, that's how you get things done. It is called a whiter shade of pale. Yeah, yeah. It's also one of the best selling singles in all t- of all. Oh time. yeah, yeah. It's huge, huge, huge song. Yeah. It says more than ten million copies mm. sold worldwide. Yeah. It had a revival because there was a movie that came out in the early 80s, whose name has escaped me now. Oh, The Big Chill, 
which was kind of like it was kind of a a, a movie it's kind of a requiem for for 60s people mm. so like you know all the people in the movie were once they were all like hippies and you know and you know involved in protests and stuff and now they're all like kind of you know middle class you know achievers and they're all kind of like regretting that they're boring and and uh run the middle of the road but the soundtrack was a huge success at the time and and way to shade the pale kind of revive like had a big revival from that movie yeah it says here it has in the soundtracks of numerous films including the big chill purple haze breaking the waves the boat that rocked house md uh martin scorsese's segment of new york stories stonewall oblivion and the documentary the vietnam war wow yeah yeah it's just a, a soundtrack of its time right mm-hmm. so what's interesting about switchboard susan was that it wasn't it was written by jupp but it was just a b-side for him he used it as a B-side for his uh, single, for his single "Rooms in Your Roof," which came from his uh, second album, which he did for for Chrysalis, not not for Stiff. And although Jupp seemed to view the song as a throwaway, it was super popular with like other musicians of that time period. So Gary Brooker, who I just mentioned, who was the vocalist for Procol Harum, he released a version on his 1979 album "No More Fear of Flying." The Searchers recorded their own version for their 1979 album, The Searchers. Then the song was translated into Swedish by Per Gessel and Niklas Stromsted for their band. And I'm going to murder this name because I can't speak Swedish, but mm-hmm. it's like Gylen Tider. Okay. G-Y-L-L-E-N-E. Okay. New word, T-I-D-E-R, which means golden times. Okay. And Do you think it's more of an I sound than an I sound? Tider? Or Gillen? Yeah, probably. But I don't know if they like pronounce the G if, or if it's soften, if it's Gillen hmm. or Gillen or I don't know. And if the double L is like Spanish and it has a Y sound. I don't think it's Spanish and it has a Y sound. I don't know. I don't know. I think that those two languages have different like oh, I know. origins, right? For sure. So. For sure. Yeah. But I just mean, you know what I mean? Like just, you don't yeah. know what, like I don't know if the L, if the L is too, just be pronounced the way we pronounce uh, double L's or. The double L sound in Spanish, do you think that that comes from Arabic? Probably. Okay. The double L is its own letter in the alphabet, in the Spanish alphabet. Hmm. Like the double L is its own sound. It's a yeah. Y sound. Why? It's interesting that it's it's something that isn't in any other Romance language. It is though, but just in different ways, right? So in Spanish, for instance, they make a Y sound with a with a with a double L. With a, no, with a G and N. Are no, sorry, in Italian. In oh, Italian. Italian. Okay. Yeah. So Bologna, nya, right. GN. But that right? I think that's in French too a bit. French French does it with how would they do it? I don't think they, I think they replaced it more with a je sound, right? With Y, like déjà. Okay, yeah. I mean, there is a Y for like there yeah. and stuff like that. But it's E sound, not a, mm-hmm. not a Y sound. Yeah. I don't have to think about it for a while. For proposition, maybe I-O, I-O, proposition, yeah. proposition, yeah. Yes, anyway, interesting. <laughs> <laughs> That's from our new show we're doing. Yes. Called Laughable Lexography with Dave, the verbalizer, Dedrick. Okay. And Mary, the... Wait, I have to come up with my own? Yeah, you have to come up with your own this time. Can a steel uh, verbalizer make a verbalizer junior? Well, I didn't choose that. <laughs> yes, you did. <laughs> I did not choose you did. that. You did. I wrote to you and said, what name do you want for a no, new car show? And you said, I said, I'm going to call myself the Growler. And you wrote back yeah. and said, I'll just use Growler Junior. And that I was like, not original. No, that is not original lie. at all. <laughs> What's your name? What's your name for this new show? Oh, um. Mary? The. I'm going to give you one if you don't. I can't scene. think of one. All right, you're, you're the bookworm. Oh, well, that's pretty good. Mary the bookworm. That's pretty good. That's accurate. <laughs> Mary the bookworm, Dedrick. All right. How about bookworm junior? No. Yeah, I've changed it. What? Mary the bookworm junior, Dedrick. <laughs> it's not fair. There's no bookworm senior. 
There is. It's another host. Oh, what? There's another host? Yeah. I just got downgraded? You did. You're, not, oh. you're, you're just adjunct. You're like you're like on podcast when you, and then the girl just kind of pipes up in the background every once in a while. Oh, yeah. It's the worst. <laughs> That's your position in the show. Oh. <laughs> They're like, we got three hosts on this show. <laughs> not really, though. Not really. One of them just says three words every every hour. Every hour. Cool. Okay. And, and laughs. Ha, ha, ha. And you're like, <laughs> that's Ugh. your job, Mare. That's why it's laughable lexography. Mm-hmm. So it's like a lot of puns and jokes mm-hmm. around words. Yes. And then I laugh. With Dave, the verbalizer, Dedrick. Yes. With L, uh-huh. Bookworm Perkins. Yes. And then you, Mary. Bookworm Jr. Bookworm Jr. Dedrick. You just laugh at her jokes. Right. That's no, a great that's show. Great. That sounds fantastic. I'm glad you're looking forward to it. Um, I... I I, because we're talking about yeah <laughs> about lexicon yes um when I was in high school yeah in grade eleven our teacher would do um she would do like new vocab okay every week or whatever sure so we um we had this class and it was like a two two period class mm-hmm. um so we had it like every day throughout the whole year rather than just having like one half. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Because um, it was English and social studies combined. And yeah. And so she would do like new vocab and one of, so we would learn words like pogrom, right? And lexicon was one of them. Okay. And my friend and I were doing this training thing because we did peer mediation. And one of us said the word lexicon and the guy who was doing the training was like, oh, what's that? And we were like, oh, it's like your personal vocabulary. And he was like, oh, I don't have that app. <laughs> and we were like... <laughs> Oh, we gave each other this look that was like, we're smarter than this guy and he's an adult. <laughs> Still think about that. You dummy. You just assumed it was an app because we were teenagers. <laughs> we didn't even have smartphones. <laughs> That's true. You didn't. Um, yeah. So I was just saying, so the song was translated into Swedish. Mm-hmm. And uh, what was interesting, though, is that they they just used uh, Rock Pile's backing track. Okay. It was you know, the Nick Lowe version. Mm-hmm. They just used that, and then they sang Swedish lyrics over it. Oh, okay. And Swedish listeners out there, you may not, you may or may not know this, but Per Gessel, or Jessel, or Hessel, mm-hmm. or Hesley, or I don't know, he he left. Uh, he when when Golden Times ended, he went on to form Roxette, which they are a huge band in the eighties. Okay. Here in North America, hmm. and were the reason I invented the word swinglish, hmm. because they sang in a particular form of English. That was Swedish. That was yeah, so they had their own idiom. They had their right. own idiom. It's kind of fun. I always I always like that uh, element in uh, and same in ABBA as well. Who you know the the uh, the lady singers in ABBA famously couldn't speak English. They just yes. sang phonetically. Yeah. So it just has that wonderful little slightly mm-hmm. off feeling yes. to it. You know that it's not quite English. Yeah. It's like English. Yeah. It's not English. No. And then the people writing the songs as well aren't English as well. Yeah. So you get that really kind of interesting use of idioms and and it's just slightly different it's really fun the tages are like that as well the swedish band the tages i read you like an open book like when you hear that song you're like they sound english (laughs) but it doesn't quite sound english yeah it's interesting and i thought that about i thought that about last time we played the group um uh the act and their song the remedies of dr bronicoy and if you had asked me if that band was, was was a British band, I would have said no. I would have said, I think they're like a Dutch band that are pretending they're British. Right. And because the lyrics to me sounded like, like they sounded... Like slightly alien. Yeah, they sounded slightly different. Like they weren't right. quite written by, by a person that was actually English, just that they had a pretty good grasp of the English language, right. but not the perfect grasp. Because it's really hard, like any language, not just English, any language, 
you know, it has its its polite language mm-hmm. and then it has its idiomatic language, right. you know, and most people speak in the idiomatic mm-hmm. language. And that's in some, you know, some ways difficult to grasp, uh, you know, unless it's a very common idiom. Yes. But there's lots of things that, that get replaced or or some people like me will use really old ones, mm-hmm. antiquated ones that are long out of use yes. just because they amuse me. Right. And then that's confusing as well because you're being, you know, in, unless you grew up watching Popeye cartoons mm-hmm. from the 1930s, you're not, maybe you're not going to know why I'm saying, oh, you kid or 23 Skidoo Daddy and things right. like that, right? So, so it's, uh, yeah, it has its, uh, mm. yeah, language or is confusing. when you alter an, an expression, like saying, I have a mind like a steel sieve. Yes, that's right. Yeah. I do that. I know. You do. That's what I'm saying. Okay. You specifically. <laughs> not like a general you. Yeah, yeah. Okay. But like a you, dad, my mm-hmm. father, David Dedrick. You. That's <laughs> true. I do have a mind like a steel sieve. Don't I know it. <laughs> what are you looking at? The chickens? Yeah, she's pecking around, eating uh, worms Oh, and good, stuff. good. It's her job. Eat that. Eat the... I would prefer she eat, eat the insect larva in the uh, grass. Went after something moving and got it. Good. Good for her. Did you know that some chickens um, eat mice? Oh, yeah. They, like, catch and eat mice. Good. Yeah. Good. That's also good. I'm all for it. Because they're probably eating their seeds, so they want to... Yeah. Get them. Get them. I was once house-sitting for someone who had a chicken coop that was infested with rats. <laughs> it was the grossest thing ever. Huh. It was so bad. Yeah, yeah. No. Um, rats. Yeah. So yeah. gross. Oh. <laughs> they were just, like, all, like, swarm around. Like, you had to go in and, like, get the eggs right away. Yeah. Because the rats would go in and eat them. Oh, so bad. So bad. And they would eat all their food and stuff, too. Why did they get rid of them? I don't know. They just didn't. They were like, oh, you can't get rid of them. I think you could. <laughs> Pretty positive that you could do something. Like, I don't know. Yeah. You know, rat traps or poison. Yeah. So as long as they're reach of the chickens, it's fine. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. And they had a rooster in there, too. And also a donkey in the, with the chickens. Huh. Huh. But those rats. But there are so many rats. They are. They're so big. Mm-hmm. They're, like, way too big. Like mice, little, fine. Yeah, no problem. I don't there. like them either. I have no problem with mice. Rats, though? I don't have a problem with mice. I have a problem with mice poop, which occurs every two inches. Yeah. And every and every inch between that is is pee. Yes. They're like this. They, they seem to uh, somehow propel themselves with poo. Yeah. When I w- was at camp, um, there's a lot of mice there because yeah. we were in the woods. Yeah. But I remember I was talking to someone who used to go to camp there in the 80s. And she was like, oh, it's... I said, you know, there's things here. But don't bring food in or food away and clean up after yourselves. Like, it should be fine. You probably won't see any. And she was like, oh, really? I was like, yeah. And she was like, oh, yeah, back when I went to camp here, you would have to, like, smack the couches before you sat down. And it would just be like all these rice. Rice would, like, flee from the couch. I was like, ooh. <laughs> <laughs> It's like, burn the couch. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So, um, you know, Mary, I've talked so much about Mickey Jupp that I'm going to play a Mickey Jupp song. Okay. Just because I assume, you know, I don't want to be a snob about it, but I assume that lots of our listeners haven't heard Mickey Jupp. Right. He's not like a household name. And I think he's quite good. And so I'm going to play a song. This is not, this is my favorite song by him, but it's, I have to admit, it's not a typical song by him. It doesn't, it doesn't have like the pub rock chugging sound, but it's, uh, it's a song I like a lot. So let's listen to Mickey Jupp. This is School from his album, Japanese from 1970. I think I said from 77, didn't I? 79? No, 79. Sorry. 79. Yeah. Cause, um, uh, Stiff put out two records by him. One was a collection of his, of his stuff with legends and that, and so that was, uh, or with leg- uh, Legend, I guess. Mm-hmm. And they put it out as Mickey Jupp's Legend. And it was okay. like a collection of the kind of greatest hits of, le- of 
or best tracks of Legend right. in 78. And then in 79, they put out uh, a fresh solo album from him okay. called Japanese. And this is a song from it called School. So let's give it a listen, everyone. Everywhere you go, everywhere you turn There seems to be so much we have to learn Like, mind the doors, keep the country clean Don't sit too close to the screen And don't post the street until the little man is green Everywhere we turn There seems to be so much we have to learn Like too much of that will blow your mind Too much of this will make you go blind Too much of the other is bad for your spine Does you any good to know the meal you just ate was full of goodies like starch, flavoring, coloring, preservatives, monosodium, glutamate. Everywhere you go, everywhere you turn. So much we have to learn like You can't get on this bus without the right fare <laughs> Can't park there or there or there Walking on the grass is a crime against the nation Don't pull the chain while the train is in the station Keep her over on the lead After use replace the lid Go straight to jail and don't collect Remember wherever you go Whatever you do Remember it's still okay to say Please And I thank you There you go, Mary. That was uh, Mickey Jupp with School. What do you think of that song? It's a fun song. Yeah, it's very nice, isn't it? Mm-hmm. It's very cute, and I like the ending of it a lot. A nice little message there for everyone. I always say please and thank you. Always say please. It's a good message. Yes. So, what is our next song, Dad? Our next song, Mare, is a song by an artist we've heard before, and I'm sure we'll hear Wait, again. We're repeating <laughs> an repeat- artist. I'm repeating an artist. Us. Yes. <laughs> yes. Repeating an artist because I wanted, you know, there's some artists who whom I love, who I wanted people to hear, and these all these mixtapes didn't go to the same person, so they didn't know that I had already put this artist over and over again on some other other mixtapes. No, I know, I'm just joking. So this is uh, Emmett Rhodes from his 
first solo album, which was uh, self-titled Emmett Rhodes from 1970. This is the single from that album, Fresh as a Daisy. Let's give it a listen, everyone. Do you like do you like Emmett Rhodes? What was the last song of his that we that we heard? Um, it must it must have been uh, "Really Wanted You." I think a bit more driving, a bit more of a drive, had a guitar in it. Okay. Uh, from his second album, "Mirror." Okay, I thought that the song was good. Yeah. But also kind of weird. Why was it weird? I don't know, just a little weird. Hmm. But it was good. So do you th- it like so? If I played the song for you and like went oh. What do you think of this song? Your your reaction would be this song is kind of weird. So do you think that that maybe is why Emmett Rhodes didn't like make it big? That there was something a little bit weird about him, weird or off putting about it. I don't know. I wouldn't say off putting. Okay. I would just say like how is it weird? I'm just curious. I think it's just not. I I don't think that the song goes in the direction you expect it to go. Mm, mm. And it's not a bad thing. No, it's not a bad thing it's at all. It's just that people 
like the word predictability predictability yeah okay they but like it's funny that you say that but you know... see like a group like the beach boys mm-hmm. well brian a uh, composer like brian wilson mm-hmm. you know is famous for going off of the the like the normal chord changes right he was well known for like adding these little twists in the tail of mm-hmm. them but maybe his twists were a little were in the music but not necessarily in the singing you know what i mean like so yeah. that was pretty straight ahead it was just in the back in the backing track there was there was something a little yeah, bit different i feel like with okay i feel like with the beach boys they their weirdness could be overlooked yeah and you could become a fan of them and just be sort of like a base level fan of their very popular songs yeah. without hearing their weird songs yeah yeah or like even realizing that there's like weird stuff going on in their songs mm-hmm Mm-hmm. Whereas this song, I think when you hear it, you're kind of like, this is kind of weird. <laughs> Interesting. Uh, this album could have been a big hit. Like it was on the road to being a big hit. It was okay. It reached the album reached number twenty nine. Oh, wow. On the Billboard Hot One Hundred, and the single made it to fifty four. This single made it to fifty four, number fifty four. Hmm. And probably if you looked at back in nineteen seventy and you looked like the other songs that were in front of it, you'd be like, mm, "That's pretty good showing in terms of what else was going on." Because that was, you know, a, a really productive time musically speaking. Wait, sorry, what year was this? Nineteen seventy. Okay, okay. So you know, and we've talked about it before, where he had recorded an album for A and M before he did the solo album, and A and M decided not to release it and put it on the shelf. But then when this album started to become a hit. They thought, oh, well, here's our chance to make some money back on this album that we shelved. So they put it out as the American Dream. And then that caused a problem because people going to buy Emmett Rhodes will get to the record store and there are two Emmett Rhodes albums. And they're like, well, I don't know which one has a song on it that I like. It feels so dirty when record labels do that. It does feel dirty. Because, like, you're basically sabotaging the artist yeah. for your own pocket. Yeah, yeah. Right? Whereas, like, if you had just put well, the album out. Sure. Or if if... If Emmett Rhodes had had a competent manager, or a manager at all, right. have someone go to A&M and say, listen, we'll license this from you. We'll pay you for this. Yeah. And we'll put it out ourselves, you know, and we'll... And put it out, like, in our own time. Put it out in our own time. Yeah. Because we've talked about this as well with Emmett Rhodes. So when he, when he, he made this record, he made it on his own. He made it without a record label when he started this album. So he recorded it on his own. He put a, he bought a giant, like, washing machine-sized tape machine four track tape deck and ampex 360 and he put that in his in in his parents garage there they had a detached garage in their backyard so he put it in there and he bought a couple of of uh uh mic preamps and then he bought some microphones and then he proceeded to play and he then he had first he couldn't play piano so he had to teach himself how to play play piano that's the first thing he needed to do and then so once he learned to play piano then he, because he already played drums, he played drums in the Palace Guard, the first band he was in. He mm-hmm. played guitar in the Merry-Go-Round, the second band he was in. And so when he left the Merry-Go-Round, he, you know, he had drums and guitar. So then he needed to figure out how to play bass and how to play piano. So he did that. And so then he had like some good instrumentation. So what he would do is he would, he would uh, record, he would record, say, the, the piano part, and then he would record the the, the guitar part and then he would play the drums and do like, do like that right so he had four tracks to do that in the problem was is that the four track that he used was weird and it wouldn't let him bounce down to particular tracks so if he was in track one he couldn't bounce to track two he had to go to bounce to track three so he had to like kind of map out what he was going to do in terms of of how the instruments were going to stack up in, in, the, in the track yeah and then when he did that the other thing was is that you weren't allowed to do home recording 
uh, because of the musicians' union rules, home recording couldn't be used on a major label release. So he couldn't even say that it was recorded at home on the record the record label. On the runout, if you look at the runout on the sleeve, it says um, recorded at home <laughs> in the runout. It was written there. That's funny. scratched into it. But, Maybe not funny, but it's cute. Yeah, like it's that. cute, yeah. So once he had recorded all the instruments, he took these to his friend, this guy named Keith Olson, who we've talked about before. Uh, Keith Olson was in the Millennium with, with Kurt Betcher and, and learned production under Kurt Betcher as well and went on to have a really great career. He produced uh, Fleetwood Mac's first album, produced Pat Benatar's uh, most famous albums, did a lot of work, produced the Scorpions, you know, did a lot, a lot of work with a lot of different bands. He passed away a little while ago. So then, uh, so then, so yeah, so, so Emmett Rhodes took his four tracks to him and, and they were mess, they were messy right. because he, you know, he would like start the tape and then have to run into the other room and then start playing, you know? And so the, and there's a lot of like, there's a lot of like noise and a lot of problems with it. So, so they put it onto in Keith Olsen's studios, they put it onto his eight track and kind of cleaned up the sound. And then they used the extra four tracks so that, uh, Emmett could add his, his vocals. Okay. So he had like four tracks of vocals so he could stack and, and, uh, you know, do that. And so then when he finished those, he took them, he shopped them around and so ABC Dunhill was 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 interested in them, and ABC Dunhill signed him to a, to a con a record contract. Now the problem was is they signed he signed to a record contract that he guaranteed six albums in three years. Six albums, it's a lot. Yeah, exactly. For one person who's writing all their own all their own music. Yeah. Recording all their own and music. And like, how many how many songs would be on each album? Say twelve songs. Twelve songs in each album. But you'd write more than twelve songs because you needed twelve good songs. Right. So you may have a few songs that you thought yeah, might so be. Yeah. So say you'd write like twenty. You write twenty you're songs. You're doing forty. You're writing forty songs a year. Forty songs a year plus recording. However. And also promoting it. So and you're supposed to be touring it. it and, yeah. Yeah. Too much. It was too much for him. And by the time he put out his first album, Emmett Rhodes, he was already in in default to to Dunhill. So they sued him for not not putting out his, his his second album. So by the time by the time he was touring to support this album, he was being sued by his record company for failure to follow to honor his contract. Mm-hmm. So yeah, it would have been really helpful if he had the A and M album in his back pocket that he could have put out as a, as filler, like as a as a as a kind of a you know what I mean, like a, a gap like a gap filler. So then he could he could kind of work on his next album, which is also really great. Mirror is a great album. Unfortunately, by the time you get to his third and final album, you can hear in his songs that he is really disillusioned with uh what with his life and with the music and everything else and in fact he didn't record again after that album he just left the music and he didn't leave the music industry but he left he left it as a performer wow which is sad yeah so yeah i find it i just think it's interesting that you think that it was um weird weird yeah yeah that's fascinating to me all right well that's that's our emmett road story it's a, it's a kind of a sad story. He did put out an album in 2014, which is a very good album. I mean, it's it's a little ballady, and, and I kind of prefer like kind of pop, poppy songs myself. I'm a, I'm a pop guy, but uh, I can understand why someone who's you know had a sad life will write sad songs. That makes sense, I guess. But, yeah. But yeah, okay. Let's go to your next song, Mary. My next song. I said our next song. Oh. <laughs> if yeah. You, if you want to take ownership of this no, song, no, you're no, welcome I, to do I so. You like this song. I'm, I mean, I, know I do, you do like it, but I'm yeah. not going to say it's like my song. Okay. But what is it? Well, this is, this is quote unquote Rita Lee. Okay. From the album Oje e o Primero Dia do Resto da Sua Vida. Do you know what that means? Nope. We'll parse it out. Oje. Orange juice. Today. Oh. E. E. 
Yeah, it's an e? a, a e like wait. A, yeah, it's like e like an e. The letter e. Yeah. So and. Nope. Or. Is. Is. O. Okay. O is the definite article. The? The? Yeah. Okay. So today is the uh-huh. primero. What do you think primero would be? Best. No. First. First. Mm-hmm. Dia? Day. Do is a combination of the and a word, a word that would have... Of? Of, of, yeah. First day of. Resto? Rest. So of the rest. Rest of your da, life. Da. Yeah. Sua is your. Your. And vida. Life. Yeah. Today, today is, is the first day of the rest of your life. Oh, okay. Cool. That's what this album's called. So, uh, and this song is called... De nove aqui mué bon José. Now I have no idea what this song. I don't know what it means to be honest with you. It's it's an idiomatic thing. So de nove again de nove would be de novo would be again. I think Um, bon is good. José is a name. Aqui is here. Oh, you're typing it into is a into your translate. You're gonna Google cheater. Trans- I, well, while Mary you, does that, everybody, let's give the song a listen. This is from uh, this is from nineteen this is from nineteen seventy three, right? Or seventy two. Seventy two. It's nineteen seventy two. Uh, here's Rita Lee.
Okay, so we're, we're back. And Mary, what did you what did you figure out for for the meaning of the title of this song? Apparently, according yes. to Google Translate, yes. which we all know does not translate idioms <laughs> yeah, exactly. or explain idioms, <laughs> it means, again, here, my good Jose. Yeah. So, de novo is, again, as I said, a key here. Mm-hmm. Muy bon is... Uh, and it's a little inaccurate because it should have the in front of the the, the uh, possessive, my. Oh, okay. They have a... They really like the, the definite article the in Portuguese, o. so they just throw it in front of everything. Right. But... Yeah, it's uh, obviously it's an idiomatic thing that that means something like here you are, maybe like here you are again, right, my good friend or whatever. Sure. Uh, Mare Osmotanches is uh, Rita Lee was a member of Osmotanches. We've and talked about Osmotanches before. Have we talked about Osmotanches? We've definitely mentioned them. Have we? We've definitely mentioned Osmotanches before. We've talked about Gal Costa. Yeah. We've talked about Gilberto Gil. I don't know if we played it. Uh, We've Mutantis talked song. about Catana Veloso. Okay. Okay. We have talked about the Tropicalia movement. A little bit. Yeah. Um, Because we've talked about all those people. Mm. We have talked about Tropicalia. Okay. Definitely. And we have mentioned Os Mutantis and okay. Rita Lee. Okay. We, we've played a Rita Lee song as we well. We played a Rita Lee song. Yeah. I played one. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That's right. Yeah. That's right. You played Otoke. So, um, yeah. Rita Lee was a member of Os Mutantis. Os Mutantis is, is Portuguese for the mutants. They started off. They started off as two different bands. There was there were two brothers, Arnaldo Baptista and Sergio Diaz Baptista. And Sergio Diaz, that's how he goes. His name in the band was Sergio Diaz. I don't okay. know why I decided to not advertise that they were brothers, but they were brothers. Uh, and they were members of a band called the Wooden Faces with their with their third brother, mm-hmm. Claudio. Wow, that's a real. Uh, love and rocket situation, huh? Okay. We started with three brothers, then yeah. lose one of them. Lose one of them, exactly. Uh, there was also Rafael v- Velardi and Roberto Loyola. Okay. And so they were the wooden faces. And then they they met Rita Lee, who was in a, a group called the, the Teenage Singers. Okay. Now, I'm not translating these names. These were the actual names. They were in English? They, were, they used English for the names of their bands at this, okay. at this time. And so she joined the group, and then they, they decided... To change the name to the Six Sided Rockers. Okay. So they became the Six Sided Rockers. Were then there six of them? I guess it was, because there's the three brothers and then the three other members. Okay. So then they changed the name to O Conjunto. Okay. Then to Osace. Mm-hmm. Before finally becoming Os Mutanches after Claudio Velarde and Loyola left to go to university. Okay. The name comes from a book called O Imperio dos Mutanches, which I think means Empire of the Mutants. Oh, okay. So so the group was playing, you know, they're playing kind of rock and roll and, and enjoying that because, you know, the Beatles were big and this was in 64. So, you know, everyone's excited about the British music and everyone's mm-hmm. excited about rock and roll or a rock and roll. And uh, right, yes. the, uh, the group kind of, they met uh, Gilberto Gil while they were performing on a TV show. Okay. And Gilberto Gil really liked them and they found themselves sort of drawn into the Tropicalia movement. Right. They weren't founders of Tropicalia. They were yeah. drawn into the movement yes. by their friendship with Gilberto Gil, who was a popular Brazilian musician. Mm-hmm. And now the important thing to remember when we're talking about Usmatanches and the Tropicalia movement yes. is that they were living and playing under a military dictatorship. Yes. So there'd been a military junta. There'd mm-hmm. been an overthrow of the government by the military in Brazil. Yes. And they were the ones who controlled everything. everything. There was also a huge leftist movement in mm-hmm. Brazil this time as well. So in universities and places of, in, you know, sort of... More the, urban centers. More in, urban centers, the intelligentsia and whatnot. Yeah. The, there is this big movement of, of left-wing politics yes. and stuff of like that. getting rid of the military dictatorship. <laughs> That's right. That's right. Now, so in some ways, Tropicalia was a reaction to Brazil's military junta. Right. But it was also a reaction 
to the worldwide popularity of the Beatles right. and the other British invasion bands and even yes. American groups that were coming in, you know, were being imported into Brazil. Mm-hmm. So they were like influenced by that. They're influenced by the psychedelic sounds coming out of the U.S. Mm-hmm. and out of England. And so, and so Tropicalia isn't a melding. It's really kind of interesting. Mm-hmm. It's not like a mixing pot of sounds. It's like a layering of sounds. Right. So it's taking like traditional Brazilian rhythms and musical idioms and it's it's layering rock and roll over top of it. So you get a sort of a different effect than you would get with like, say, a Spanish group that was playing rock and roll. Right. Where say a group like Santana, let's say as an example, even though they're from America. Let's mm-hmm. use them an example. So they are a rock and roll group who are using like Spanish, Spanish sounds and instrumentation right. in a rock and roll idiom. Yes. But they didn't do that in, in Tropicalia. Tropicalia took like the, the, you know, like the, the popular kind of sounds of the day, the samba and things like that. Mm-hmm. And they... In Brazil. In Brazil, yeah. yeah. And then they, they overlaid it with this patina of, of futurism, of, of rock and roll sounds right. and, and effects and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. And so you get this weird kind of... When you listen to the songs, they're not rock and roll songs necessarily. Mm-hmm. They're like this kind of weird amalgam, but not a mix. Yeah. Just just the two things sort of on top of each other. Yes. And an uncomfortable mix sometimes. <laughs> because you have the addition of Rogerio Duprat, the kind of mad conductor of Tropicalia, oh, okay. who did all the arrangements for, for, for the for the groups. And he came out of this uh musique concrete background of avant-garde composition and stuff like that and so he was like putting found sounds into songs so you get like the ending of of panis and that's like the sound of people eating in a restaurant with a lot of with music like muzak playing on the Mm -hmm. although it's actually an orchestra that's in the studio playing it's made to sound like it's playing over a like a speaker in in the back yeah and taking a restaurant where people are eating and stuff like that and so yeah you get this kind of mix of weird or, or in my, one of the, one of my uh, epoca, I think it's called epoca for um, the song, um, this the um, uh, Catano Veloso song, where he's obviously singing out, standing on the street. Okay. Yes. But yep. the instrumentation is obviously being recorded in a studio, yes. and they're put together. So he's singing this very Brazilian, uh, folk-sounding song, yeah. and then it's being combined with what sounds like the theme from James Bond. <laughs> it's really interesting, right? Mm-hmm. I can't remember which one that is. Oh, sorry. I can't remember which song that is. Oh, okay. Yeah, you you remember though, right? It's from it's from his. I do remember that. Yeah, song, yes. it's from his most difficult album, uh, whose name escapes me now. If I sat and think about it for a bit, blue a uh, blue azul, I think it's called azul blue or something like that. Azul, no, azul is blue. Azul, it's like blue pear in 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 Portuguese, but it's uh anyway, it's a really crazy album. It's I call it his uh I call it his um post traumatic stress disorder album. Yes, that's the one after. His exile. Yeah. Yeah. So, so yeah. So the rebellious nose tweaking of Tropicalia was not only like disliked by the British, by the Brazilian authorities. Yes. But well, yeah, by the because military the, because government. they were they were taking they were taking Brazilian iconography and sort of subverting it. Yeah. But it was also because it was mixing because it was mixing traditional Brazilian music with rock and roll. It enraged the leftist students. Right. And so because they thought that they should be embracing Brazilian culture rather than yeah. sort of bringing in outside outside culture. That's right. They saw it as they saw it as, as imperialism yeah. against British. Or, I keep saying British Brazilian culture. Yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, I'm sure that yeah, they're they are embracing the imperialists right yeah. rather yeah. than working to yeah. 
um, be self-governed. That's right. Right? They're embracing Britain, their imperialism. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. yeah. And America and their yeah. imperial effect, you know, the mm-hmm. Vietnam and stuff like that, of course. So, and then, I mean, America's effects on um, Latin America at that time as well. Oh, yeah, 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 for sure, including yeah. Brazil. So the band back Catano Veloso for his, let's just call it, tumultuous performance mm. at the third International Song Festival in Rio. So this was like performed at a, it was performed on TV. Right. It was performed in front of like in universities. And so the band and Veloso, uh, the first night they played, they enraged the audience. The audience was super upset. And so then right. the second night they played, they played a song that Velo- Catano Veloso had written specifically for this for this concert okay. called a prohibir or a prohibido prohibir mm-hmm. which means it is uh, forbidden to forbid right and so the idea being that you know both sides the junta and the students were mm-hmm. acting as this sort of block to creativity right and so while they're playing this song they were pelted with fruit vegetables rotten eggs yeah rolled up paper mm-hmm. the audience was jeering and booing them they were booing louder than they could play on stage right. they turn their backs to them like how the audiences turn their backs to them when they're oh, playing okay. on stage so the mutanches answered by turning their backs and playing to the right and so yeah it was just a it was just a crazy thing and then they also backed Gilles and Veloso for their you know final kind of final controversial performance of Tropicalia where it didn't happen but they were they they once again because they were con- subverting the iconography of the time like they were using like um uh, a sort of heroic portraits of this kind of local uh, drug dealer who'd been arrested. Oh, okay. They're using him as like this sort of right. image of like instead of the pr- Brazilian president and yeah. and whatnot. And and I mean, Panis and Acercensis is also like um, a term used to talk about um, sort of dictatorships. Yeah, right? that's right. Like yeah. it was originally designed in Rome. That's right. Bread right? and circuses. But, that's yeah, right. bread and circuses. It's a way to keep the population. Uh, satisfied Sa- yeah satiated satiated so Give you don't have to worry about to them feed them and control them yeah right? exactly control their minds control their stomachs exactly and, right so yeah so um yeah and so so yeah so Gilles and veloso were accused of of being uh of insulting the the dictatorship of insulting the government mm-hmm. and so they were given an option of of going to jail or going into exile yeah and so they chose exile which they call self-exile but if you're given a choice when you only have two choices i don't yeah. feel like you've exiled yeah. yourself but whatever so they they They're left like, the country. We're gonna put you in jail, or you can you can go into exile. Yeah. But you you're gonna it's gonna be self exile. Like is it is it though? <laughs> so they they had to leave the country. So that pretty much was the end of Tropicalia as a movement because the right. two figureheads of it were gone. And I mean, the other thing is the two figureheads of it were exiled. Yeah, so right? that's scary. Like, that's yeah. scary. Put in jail as well. They were put in jail. Yeah. For a, for a yeah, month. Yeah, they were arrested. They had spent time in jail for I think three months, and then they were sent out of the country. So yes. There's a great song by Cateno Veloso, from a later song by him about his experience in prison. Um, it's more of an emotional song, just about how he felt emotionally, mm-hmm. like trapped. It's a good song. But um, I think it's called Eclipse, but I'm not... Okay. I'm sure it's good. Cateno Veloso's great. And then... <laughs> and then... Uh, so so we, I, I've said before, like, Gal Costa kind of continued on in the spirit of it for a while, but it's very hard by herself to yeah. carry a, a movement on your shoulders. So she, you know, normalized. And same with the Osmotanches. Once they were disconnected from Gilles and Veloso, their music kind of just went into like a straight ahead rock rock and roll sound. Right. And so uh, they they brought in a drummer and a bassist mm-hmm. so they could perform. Before that, they kind of, they just performed as a trio. Okay. And, you know, just kind of made do with what, what they could do on stage. Yeah, with Sergio Diaz and... On guitar. And, and, and what's the third guy's name? 
uh, Arnaldo Baptista, who's right. kind of the band leader, really. Yeah. He played bass on stage, and but he was also a piano player. He, okay. He could he learned to play the classical piano when he's growing up. Mm-hmm. Then he switched from classical piano to, to rock and roll piano to learning to play the guitar. Okay. Yep. And then he also learned to play another instrument as well. I can't remember what it was now. It's like the, oh the contrabass. Oh okay. He learned to play that, so he basically learned classical instruments. Yeah. But then of course he was bitten by the rock and roll bug yes. as most kids would have been at that time in yeah. the 60s and i mean i i think at that time no one was no one was learning rock and roll instruments <laughs> no, at that no, time no, right no. everyone's learning classical yeah, instruments yeah, yeah. and they adapted yeah exactly yeah and so then um yeah because really also is brought up his mom was a classical p- pianist and oh, okay. she, was, she was raised as, as a classical pianist right. as well and so um yeah so they that's my time just began yeah they had to move they brought in a drummer and they brought in a bassist so now they're a rock band right right so uh, they after they released their third album. So they released their first two albums kind of in the midst of of uh, of um, Tropicalia. Like when they played with Veloso, they also played their song Caminante Noturno, mm-hmm. f- which is on their second album, which means uh, Sleepwalker, right. which is kind of another reference to the, to the Brazilians, okay. that they were not awake to what was happening around them. They were just sleepwalkers. And then it ends with this quotation from... Uh, can't get no satisfaction from the Rolling Stones. Oh, okay. So it's kind of a very witty song. I remember playing it to a friend one time and he's listening. He went, huh, they don't miss a trick, do they? <laughs> and then, um, so after the third album, they traveled to France and played, played there. And then while they were there, they were invited to the studio and they began to record an album. And the idea was they would record an album in English that would then kind of introduce them into the English speaking world. Right. But for whatever reason, Polydor wasn't very happy with the album and I kind of agree with them. It, I do have that album. It was released in, I think, 2000. Okay. And I have to say that it's not great. Right. And I think it's not great because it's kind of lacking their their adventurousness and it feels kind of it feels kind of cold or kind of hollow in a way. Oh, okay. It's hard to explain. Maybe kind of... Um, it's not entirely successful, yeah. Word? Antiseptic? It's that a little bit. And then the songs, which sound so wonderful in... Portuguese? In Portuguese... Don't sound so wonderful in Portuguese English, you know. Yeah. Like it suddenly it sounds very clunk, clunky sounding, right? And the lyrics are very I mysterious mean, and 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 rhythmic in Portuguese, which is a beautiful language. Yeah, it just it doesn't it, doesn't come it across would quite be the same. Difficult to like learn English and be able to write lyrics. Well, we at least spoke English. Her dad was American. Oh, okay. Her mom was, uh, her mom was, I think her mom was Italian. Okay. And so she was brought up in a. She went to a French-speaking school. Oh, wow. So she could speak quite a few languages. So she spoke Portuguese, Spanish, French, and English. Okay. So she was quite well-educated and could sing in a multitude... She still had an accent when she spoke, spoke yes. in English, but she yeah. was fairly she was quite uh, fairly fluent in it. But it's still it's still not complete fluency, right? It's still lacking that... It's lacking that idiomatic understanding of a language that... Oh, totally. That, you know... But for the they, song... And I mean, the other thing that's missing that, like... Um, that knowledge of the language that they had so well in Portuguese. Yeah, yeah. Right? Like, they're so... Yeah, their lyrics are so, like, ma- I imagine masterful in Portuguese. Yeah, and yeah. And it's hard to... As masterful as lyrics can be. Lyrics yeah. for rock and roll, are, you know, they suffer from the fact that they're lyrics for rock and roll. Right. Because it's more about sound than it is about meaning, yeah. right? So yeah. So you yeah, choose just... your lyrics based on how they work within the musical right. setting, right? Yes. So Yeah, and going over to try to do that in a new language yeah. would be difficult, right? Like I'm not surprised that they struggled with it. Sure. And I mean when I taught myself Portuguese, I want really want I really wanted to I did it because I wanted to understand the lyrics that I was liking so much. But I have to say that learning it, I was just sort of disappointed because the lyrics were rock and roll lyrics. And I was just like, right. oh 
So it's just more of the same, really. I already know that this is nonsense in uh, in English. It's even more nonsensical in in Portuguese because I can't understand the idioms as well as I as I'd like. Um, yeah. So so, but four of the songs from that Mary showed up on their next album on Jardim Electrico, okay. like Baby, Technicolor, or a couple examples of songs yeah. that were sung in English that they Baby's a good song. Baby's a great song. Yeah. yeah. So what's in, what's uh, interesting about this band is that because they're a band. Uh, they were working like at full speed ahead at this time. So in 1970, they released uh, a Divina Comedia, a Divine Comedy, and Lee's first solo album, which was Build Up, which of course featured was produced by Arnaldo Baptista, and all the Mutantes played on it and wrote some of the songs for it. And then in 1971, they recorded the unreleased Technicolor, and then Jardim Electrico. And then in 1972, they released Mutantes e Seus Cometas No País de Barrets, mm-hmm. which is mutants. And they're comets in the country of the marijuana joints. Okay. Their friend, uh, that was his slang term for, for joints, was barrettes. So they just okay. used that in there. So then, um, not that they did it. Uh, <laughs> and, but the same year, they did Ridley's Oje Promiro Dia da Sua Vida. Okay. Uh, sorry. O Resto da Sua Vida. Okay. And Do Resto. Anyway. And they recorded that album because they were so they were so excited when they found out that a sixteen track studio had been built in Sao Paulo. So they're kind of like, "What? We've yeah. got to do an album now!" Yeah. So they went to the record company. They're like, "We're going to do another album mm-hmm. uh, because there's studios here." And they're like, "No, you've already got an album. Like, you can't put out two albums a year, right? Because people are going to be like, they're going to not know which album to buy. You're just going to dilute your 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 product." Yeah. So, but secretly they wanted to boost Rita Lee. Oh, okay. Which is why they did build up as well. Right. They had this kind of plan. They were going to boost her and then separate her from the band. Mm. And then she'd have a successful solo career. Right. And they would have two successful bands rather yeah. than just one. So they said, we'll put it out as a Rita Lee solo album. Oh, okay. Which they did. Now, behind the scenes, Rita Lee and Arnold, Arnaldo Baptista had married in 1971. I thought she married Sergio Diaz. Oh, about that. Okay. She married Arnaldo Baptista. Okay. But Rita Lee later said that it could have been either. They fought over who would sign the marriage. What? Yeah. Okay. All right. Thing. Because they already were living together like communally. Right. The band yeah. and other friends and stuff like that. They lived in a commune mm-hmm. outside of Sao Paulo. And so they already were like free loving it anyway. Right. There was no like, you know, this is already. Sure. Yeah. And so they actually tore up the marriage certificate on a talk show. Like two weeks after they came back from their honeymoon, oh, okay, just to highlight how it, you know, basically they they said they really said they got married to escape their parents, right? And that was so yeah. So I don't know, but anyway, however, I do think that Arnaldo Baptista did love Rita Lee and was hurt when their marriage broke up. Oh, okay. And so when this after this album was was finished, Rita Lee was kicked out of the band by Arnaldo Baptista. At the time, he said he kicked her out because he was didn't want her playing Mellotron on albums, and she insisted on playing the Mellotron. Which is a crazy reason to kick out someone from your three-person band. Yeah. Because she also, mm, she bought it when she was uh, during her travels and brought it okay. back. Okay. The other thing is, it's also a crazy reason to kick your wife out of <laughs> even a if she's ex, even if she's band. your ex-wife. Yeah. yeah. Like, uh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> come on, come on, buddy. You're not fooling anyone with that Mellotron business. Yeah. <laughs> And so Rita Lee um, went on to a very successful solo career. Yes. She she started uh, Tutti Frutti, which we played the song Otoke from. Mm-hmm. And then she went on to a successful solo career after, after Tutti Frutti broke up. And uh, meanwhile, um, Arnaldo Baptista went crazy. Aww. Took too much LSD. Aww. Had started having a mental breakdown. Started like hoarding garbage. Mm. 
and tried to kill himself, threw himself out of a window. Oh. So he was in- institutionalized, got out, recorded kind of like with Skip Spence, Skip Spence's Or, and uh, Sid Barrett's A Madcap, The Madcap Laughs. Um, Arnaldo Baptista recorded one of those sort of great post-institutionalized albums called Loki. Okay. With a question, with an exclamation mark, question mark after it. Okay. And sort of a cry of pain. And basically it's an album said, why did I break up with Rita Lee and kick her out of the band? That's basically what the, the theme of the <laughs> record is, I think. Poor guy. Yeah, it's, it's just too bad. But there you go. Rita Lee met a guy named Roberto Carvalho. Okay, yep. And they are still married. Oh, She good. met him in the, near the end of the 70s. And yeah, she's in happy her 70s life. now, right? Yes, yes. Yeah. And still great. Still great. Still a great. Yeah, I think great she put out a biography a couple of years ago. And Unfortunately, it was, like, it was not translated. Yeah, sad. But it was it was like the best selling book in Brazil that year. Uh, man, I would I would I would battle my way through that <laughs> just to read the story. I tried to buy one about Os Matanches one time. Oh, okay. But I couldn't I couldn't get it. Like it was it said it was available and then it was never published. Well, first they said they're going to publish it in English. Okay. Translate it, but then it wasn't. It never was. Right. And then uh, and I could never find the. I should look on the Brazilian um, Amazon actually. You never know what you can find. It's true. You never know. Thank you, Bezos. Thank you, Jeff Bezos. My brother. <laughs> I saw this. I saw this. My brother, I mean, exploiter other people. I saw this. I saw this, the Onion headline a while ago. Yeah. That was like Amazon warehouse workers um, to pay uh, $2 per hour that they work for the honor of, <laughs> of being a frontline worker. <laughs> there you go. Lucky them. And uh, it was like... It was like, oh, this is how he's going to become a trillionaire. Yeah, yeah. yeah. To be fair, uh, and I know this because we have a nephew who works who worked in warehouse uh, doing a similar job. Mm-hmm. He said his job was ex- exactly the same, mm-hmm. had exactly the same rules, mm-hmm. you know? So he just... Oh, yeah. It's a warehouse job. It's a sucky job. Like, But didn't he also say that they wouldn't hire people who used to work at Amazon warehouses? Oh, is that right? Didn't he say that? Oh, I can't remember. It was like, yeah, like if you looked at someone's... Because he was a manager there yeah. or a supervisor... Or whatever. And if you looked at someone's resume yeah. and they'd worked in an Amazon fulfillment center for more than a couple months, yeah. they wouldn't hire them. Oh, really? Because the the warehouses are like so poorly laid out oh, and okay. like just so badly managed. Yeah. That's like if you worked there, then you're either like you've picked up bad habits mm. or you're like a terrible worker <laughs> and like you just don't care about like the situation you're working in. Yeah. Or yeah, you just don't care about anything Mm. and like either way you're probably not a good fit yeah 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 huh interesting all right let's go into the next song this is a song i'm sure mary loved this is simon warner from his album his 1997 album waiting rooms and this song is moody and yes the opening of the song is what's wrong man what's wrong woman nothing let's listen everyone okay let's hear it what's wrong nothing Squish with a quick step, I'm bullying insects. I won't be round later, so get lost and leave me to brood. Attrition, death to road technicians with drills who pneumatically stunt my vocation to snooze. This is it, must be love. But she's had 
Pretending I'm eager to please her I tease her I brushed up on pleasure for two But she's looking serial If this is no period Then I'll need to stock up on toxins When things start to ooze This is sick She's in love But I've had her everybody mary yes father i know you hated this song i know you hated this song <laughs> i love this song but it's okay for you to hate it i did i said my notes were what <laughs> dot 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 is this and then i said mm-hmm. is this from a musical that's what i love about it yeah that's what i love about it we've talked we talked about this last episode i think what's about that how i don't like songs that sound like they're from music okay yeah with poker face i guess yeah yeah this is you know this is like a weird and great time in modern music sometime in the late eight, late 90s okay sorry what year was the song from uh, 1997 oh, okay okay so sometime in the late 90s mm-hmm. it was decided like it sounds like it's from the 60s right right sometime in the late 90s it was decided you know what people want to hear orchestral pop Orc pop. Let's sign 
let's sign Eric Matthews. Let's sign Neil Hannon. Let's sign the Divine Comedy. Let's sign that other guy. Let's sign Simon Warner. Let's have some orchestral pop. This is what people are waiting for. People want to hear guys bellowing over an orchestra. This is what they really want. Or whispering in the case of, of uh, Rufus Wainwright. Eric, Eric Matthews. Rufus Wainwright has a big big sound to him. Yeah, for sure. And so, yeah, I actually put in my notes, released in the orc pop madness of the late 90s. Um, yeah, for whatever reason, Eric, like if you like orc pop, you know Eric Matthews, you know the Divine Comedy, which I'm not a huge fan of the Divine Comedy. His singing kind of bothers me, hmm. which is weird because a lot of people have trouble with Simon Warner, who sang this song with his kind of kind of gravelly baritone. Mm-hmm. But I don't know, Neil Hannon's voice is so something. I've heard about Divine Comedy, I read about them. Yeah. They sounded interesting and right. I, I finally found one used and I bought it. And uh, I don't know, maybe I'll give another chance one day, but it didn't do anything for me. But yeah, but Summer Warner kind of came and went without bothering anyone hmm. at all. Except the critics who went, some critics loved it. Yeah. Some critics went head over heels in love with it. Right. You know, like when I, I heard this from a Mojo uh, compilation. Oh, okay. So they chose it. They chose right. it as like a best song of the month or whatever. Yeah. Uh, Q Magazine voted it one of the 25 best albums of that year. Okay. Or 50 best albums of the year. Maybe I'm right. exaggerating slightly. 50 best albums of the year. But yeah, he did one album. And why did he do one album, Mary? I well, let's talk think about I his... know why. Well, you don't. Because let's okay. talk about his history. <laughs> so Warner began in the early 80s. He, he was sort of playing in the late late 70s, but his music career kind of began in the, in the early 80s. He was got signed to the EG label which was the home of King Crimson. And I think, I think started founded by Robert Fripp, but I, I don't want to say that for sure. But uh, he released a single on EG in 85 called Perfect Day, Baby. And it was more like a, it was more like a song from that time period. It has more of a kind of 80s sound to it. And he says that when he was making the song, he was told by EG that he was going to be working with Lamont Dozier, this Motown legend, the guy who wrote some of the greatest songs in Motown's history. Right. And so he was like, well, this is the best news I've ever had in my life. This is great. <laughs> so then he goes in the studio and he discovers that Lamont Dozier is there, but he's just like kind of sitting, doing nothing, eating cookies the whole time. Right. And there's another guy running the session and he's like, well, who is this guy? And it turned out this is Pete Waterman. Okay. Who in the 80s came to fame as part of Saw. Right. Which was stock Aitken and Waterman, who are these kind of like like a factory, like factory producers. They produced factory music. They took you, Mary, yes, and made you Mary Diva singer of their songs, right? Okay. They could take like a, wom- a woman like, I can't remember her name now, but she was like a page three girl in, in England. You know what a page three girl is? It's a girl who shows her boobs on page three of, of, oh, of, the, okay. of the newspaper, like The Sun or whatever. Right. And so they... they boobs Samantha Fox. Samantha Fox. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. On page three. Even when we were there. Really? Yeah. Oh. At that time, I think I was reading the Daily Sport at your, your, your mom's we cousin's. What's that? I said, I guess I didn't read any newspapers when we were I there. think you're reading the Mirror. I don't think that, because that's what uh, Uncle Ronnie and Aunt Evelyn were Mirror subscribers. And the Mirror was not a trash paper like the Sun. They oh. they didn't have the Page 3 Girl, I don't believe. Gotcha. The Sun had the Page 3 Girl. They, okay. they had boobs on Page 3. Right. So Samantha Fox is who I'm thinking of. She was a Page 3 Girl. And hmm. they took her. She couldn't sing. She was couldn't do anything, really. But sure, boobs. But they took her. And they made a, gave her a successful hit career because they just could plug her into their sound, right? And so he kind of got the early touch of this. And so instead of being like a Lamont Dozier production, it became a Waterman production. And he wasn't very happy with it. He was very disappointed. And EG liked it. They actually released it twice. They put it out once. It didn't hit. They t- put it out a little bit later. still didn't hit. They're like, why not? Because why? Well, you took this artist who we liked and then we gave him a completely... Uh, uh, 
un like non fitting producer unsuitable producer and then the song wasn't a hit i don't understand what happened so warner walked away from his deal at eg and he had a long battle with depression and alcoholism and then he began to dream of a new sound he heard jock Brel and jack jones and anthony newley and he thought i can take these sounds and we can make it into like a modern version of this we'll have like gritty kind of grungy guitar sound but with really complex orchestrations and so he put together a new band called making angels uh, and they played together for a little while, but then A, there's two possibilities, Mary. Mm-hmm. What are the two possibilities? The two possibilities were either A... I was reading about top page three. Oh, okay. Did you know that they don't do it anymore? Yeah, well, it's, times have changed. Since 2017. Hmm, but we were there in 2012. I know we were, and they still did it at that time. Yeah, yeah. But, yep. So, they still do them online, though. Ah. Uh, but it's like, if you're going to go online to a newspaper website to look at a topless woman... Come on. You obviously don't use the internet very much. That's one of the definitions of being old. <laughs> Someone who's like, I'm going to go and look up the sun because there's nowhere else to see a topless woman on the internet. Yeah. <laughs> Guess they've never heard of search boobs. <laughs> yeah. Google image search. <laughs> so then... Um, what are the two possibilities, Dad? So the two possibilities was 1A, either the band drifted away from Warner, mm-hmm. disappointed by his turn to uh, Jack Jones style uh, songcraft. Jack Jones is kind of like a, a lounge singer from the 60s. Okay. Sang Husbands and Wives for Robert Bacharach. And, or B, were disbanded by Warner when he decided to take a break from music for a while again. So it's one or the other. I've read both the musicians in the band say that he told them he wanted to take a break, and so they kind of did their own thing. Right. Warner says the band drifted away from him, so okay. who knows. So band list, Warner discovered a pianist and a prog rock fan named Rick Benbow who was head of music at a local comprehensive school. So kind of like a local grammar school or whatever. Like, I don't know if grammar and comprehensive are the same, but basically like a local school. school. Uh, Benbo was also able to, was also an able arranger of strings and brass, which allowed Warner to really start to indulge his dreams of an orc pop masterpiece. So they made a demo using some of Benbo's students for the string section. And that got a deal with Rough Trade Records, who at that time were attached to uh, this record label called One Little Indian. And that label was flush with Bjork money. They had, they had so much Bjork money, they didn't know what to do with it. <laughs> and what they decided to do with it was fund an elaborate orc pop album mm. with strings and brass, with a theme and a story, like it's a musical, and we're going to make this thing big. Right. And they did. Uh, unfortunately, the producer who had played in House of Love, he had a different version of... So there's two different versions of the album. So some Warner's had this idea that it would be like kind of a mix of guitars and orchestra, Whereas the producer thought of it, he was going to make it like a Scott Walker LP. Scott Walker was somebody who was really influenced by Jacques Brel and these kind of very elaborate, you know, uh, orchestral albums in the late 60s. Okay. And so he wanted to kind of bring that sound to it. Whereas Warner wanted to kind of be more of, more of a kind of mo- a kind of a modern meets, meets, you know, contemporary meets classical. Okay. Like Sufjan Stevens. In a way. In a way, but kind of more grungy than Sufjan Stevens. Right. Like um, Sufjan Stevens' album. <laughs> Less electronic. Oh, okay. So, um, yeah. Also... Like Sofiane Stevens' first album, which is called... But it's not really orchestral. I, I, don't, I wouldn't really put Sofiane Stevens into an orchestral description, actually. Illinois? Illinois, it's a little bit... I guess there's some strings on it and stuff like that, but it's not It's not orc pop. It's not big. It's, it's not more like big. It's more string sections playing with him and stuff like that. Yeah. It's not like a like a full... It doesn't feel like right. a full-on orchestra playing, right? And... Now, Rick Benbow, I was reading an a interview with him, and he said... I mean, some songs do, but anyway. He said he could see why 
um, Warner had problems. Right. Like producti- productivity problems because he was a super perfectionist and couldn't like leave something alone. He constantly was tweaking, 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 tweaking until it just, he had to take the project away from him and just put it out. Enough. Right. It's going out. Yeah. And, but the, the album did well enough that when the Lindian signed him for another album, hmm. it was slightly reduced budget, but still another album. Right. And so, uh, so they started working on a follow-up called Never Gets Dark. But unfortunately, um, Warner f- got really sick and then he had a nervous breakdown. Mm. And he actually ended up homeless for a while. Oh, wow. Uh, but now he's married and has a daughter. Okay. And lives in, uh, you know, but I don't know. I just love he this album He doesn't still so do music, though? He doesn't. Okay. He doesn't. It's sad. Um, I did I did highlight a line from this song because mm-hmm. I love it so much. Sonic, because he's, 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 you know, he's hearing the noise of, of construction workers outside. Okay. So he said, the character says, sonic attrition, death to road technicians who, with drills who pneumatically stunt my vocation to snooze. <laughs> I just love the vocals. Like the, the, the use of language yeah, is so, so yeah. it's so wonderful. Like this is really like big and, mm-hmm. and, and br- big sound. It's a really big sounding thing. Um, I, uh, I found this on CD a few years ago, this album. I was so excited when I found it. I just okay. sort of fell, out, fell out the door of the CD store I was right. in. Like I had to walk to the door to fall a faint. <laughs> outside of it but i was just so shocked to find it it's like what uh and it's it's a great it's a great album it's just full of like these really great songs and and this this is a huge it's just a big feeling album okay and i know that it's kind of a love it or leave it voice yeah warner's voice is, has that to it i mean i think but, i'm just not a big orc pop mm-hmm, fan mm-hmm. but uh just because i feel like no one's heard this before yeah I'm going to play one more song from it just because okay. I want to and sure. blah on Mary. Right. She has to listen to it anyway. I guess so. <laughs> she has no choice. <laughs> so I'm going to play uh, a song from it called The Wrong Girl. This was a single from the album. Moody wasn't a single, but because uh, Moody is a bit of a, it's a bit of a put down song. So you don't want to okay. make a put down song. Right. You know, and I was, because I'm a Bob Dylan fan, I always loved the put down song because that was like Bob Dylan's vocation in the, in the 60s was, right. you know, won't you please crawl out your window or, yeah. um, like a Rolling Stone. These are these are all like put down songs, right? Yeah. So I always kind of enjoy that in music. But this is not a put down song, although it is called The Wrong Girls. So maybe, it, but I think it's the guy is 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 mad at himself, not at the girl, in this song, as far as I can tell. So let's give it a listen, and then we'll be back. This is Simon Warner from his album Waiting Rooms from 1997. This is The Wrong Girl. The wrong Girl. All right. Found God to my sky. 
septic blight I need results not else tonight And though I'm still drinking, I'm still You didn't enjoy that, Mare? That's okay. <laughs> I think it's rather great. I just find it. I find it, even though if the lyrics are kind of bleak, I just find the music, it's uh, elevating. Right. Elevating. I just love the the horns and the strings. It just really gets me. So, and just the fact that someone would, in the late 90s, go to the trouble of doing that, you know. Right. I have to admit, my one regret with the album is the is the production. I think that... I kind of wish that he'd been paired with someone who is more sonically, um, like less about music, but more about the sonics of, of the sound, like getting okay. the, the miking and stuff like that. Right. Um, but yeah, maybe one day it'll be reissued with a, with a better mix, perhaps that would be, or mastering, maybe that would be the thing. But yeah, I think it's great. Hopefully, listeners out there enjoyed it as well. I hope so. Well. Because I had to listen to it twice. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So and let's... wait. Oh, question sorry. for yeah. you. Are we going to be hearing more orc pop? In this episode? No, not in this episode. Just in general. Probably. So. Why? Well, I was well you know, orc, I mean, besides the 60s, orc pop is not really that common anymore. Like, it's not, it's not, uh, it's just too expensive to do, for one thing. Oh, yeah. Like, record labels. Like, at this time, record labels were flush, flush with money. Right. Because, you know, CDs they were didn't selling. They not know what to do and, with it. Yeah, they didn't know what to do with it. They, it can't all go up our nose. I guess we'll put it on the record. <laughs> and so, you know, there's some quality. There's some... There's some production on things. And nowadays, it's, you know, there's strings still. People still put strings on. But the strings are, you know, just like a string quartet or whatever, which is very nice. But And I do really like strings this, uh, on uh, on songs. But it's not quite the same as having, like, a full full orchestra, you know. I mean, it's really hard to have a big orchestra. I think even, like, with the, the Beatles, when they did A Day in the Life, you know, I think they're only allowed sixteen players in the in the in the studio for that oh, okay. album. They just they just doubled it. They just right. recorded it twice in a sense, or in or in fact, I guess. Um, yeah, I might be underselling the amount, but by a bit. But uh, cause it's been you know it's been uh, six years since completely Beatles. So 
every fact is not in my head anymore, but but around there, like it, it wasn't like a full orchestra you'd see in, in a in a classical setting, right? Mm-hmm. You know, like the studios have to still kind of re- the production budget still will reduce what you can do, but um, yeah, it's a it's a fun it's a fun album. Anyway, let's move on to right. the next song, everybody. Yes, as Mary shrugs indifferently to my enthusiasm for this album, let's move on to. Sure. Uh, What's that? I said shrug. <laughs> Let's move on to the Hollies. The Hollies? Yeah. Are yeah. we going to look through any window? We're not going to look through any windows oh. because I think that song is really well known. You don't need to... No, yeah, it is. You don't need to put isn't, look through any Isn't there like window. a documentary about them or something that's called Look Through Any Window? I don't know. I don't know. Like, Possibly. Maybe it's just a... I don't want to call you a liar. Well, appreciate you didn't. Okay. But okay. Yeah, so um, this song is called Everything is Sunshine, which I heard when I bought the Hollies anthology. And this was a B-side to the their song King Midas in Reverse, which is a song I'm not that fond of, but I really like this B-side. And if I was a DJ at the time, I would have flipped it and said, you know what, everyone, let's listen to this song and said it's better. But let's give it a listen, everyone. This is Everything is Sunshine. I keep on thinking about the things that make me cry. I keep on thinking about the things that make me die. So what did you think of uh, The Hollies, Everything is Sunshine? Well, it's no look through any window. <laughs> is it true? Nor is it any Carrie-Anne. Not Carrie-Anne, no, it's true. Carrie-Anne's The Hollies as well, yeah. though, right? Yeah, Um, But I thought it was cute. Mm-hmm. I thought it was a little light. It didn't a have a slight, lot of substance. A little slight? Yeah. I guess so. It might also be just following that orc pop song. <laughs> it kind of it felt over... a little bit less substantial. Sure, that's a possibility. I I, I was not really happy with with the uh, the transition between these two songs in, in when I was listening to it. When I was re-listening to it after a break of several years. Right. Um. But yes, I do like this song a lot. I think it's. Uh, I really like the guitars in it. What I assume are guitars, and they have that kind of weird, almost watery sound to them. I think it's very effective. It's a very simple song. 
And like I say, it was a B-side. It was not intended to be heard by by everybody. It was intended as like a little little bit of fun on the back of, of the King Midas in Reverse, uh, which I was interested to discover that King Midas in Reverse was arranged by Johnny Scott, who I knew as the flautist from You've Got to Hide Your Love Away by the Beatles. Right. He plays a couple of, plays two different flutes on that song. So I was kind of, uh, I thought that was kind of interesting. But yeah, not much to say about it. Uh King Mice in Reverse, not a great song. wasn't a big hit for the for for the Hollies. They kind of they kind of zoomed back with a song called Jennifer Eccles after King Mice in Reverse, which they wrote specifically to be a hit because they recognized that they'd kind of fallen with King Mice in Reverse, and you you just can't you know you can't waver when you're a band. You know you can't you can't have like you gotta have a hit. You can't not have hits, right? So yeah. So they kept on going. All right. Well, I, you know sometimes you need a little bit of a, a breather, and that's what this song was. Yeah. And let's uh, so let's turn on let's turn to um to selfish one by Jackie Ross which I just realized I didn't write the 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 date of it uh, in 64 is when it came out 1964 uh, so let's give a listen to selfish one by Jackie Ross here we go Souvenir that just sits on a shelf 
right, and we're back. And Mary, what did you think of this little bit of what I would think of as uptown soul? I thought it was super fun. Yeah? Yeah. Yes. Um, has a bit of a story? Yeah, has a bit of a story. It was nice to have... Um, well, not well. I thought it was interesting yeah. that you had this song on as well as uh, "Rocking Chair." Yeah, well, yeah. yeah. Well, I, just, I don't know if we've had two soul songs mm. on an album, yeah. other than our soul albums. Yeah, yeah. But also, I I feel like maybe we haven't had a soul song in a while, probably because a lot of them were your soul mixes. That's right. Yeah. Um. So yeah, it was nice to have two of them on here. Yeah. 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 Oh, good. Yeah, glad you enjoyed it. Yes, it's uh, you know what? I kind of wish that this song had followed Simon Moody, or Simon, sorry, Simon Warner's Moody. Oh, okay. I think yeah. it would have been a better yeah. transition, actually. I can see that. Because he would have gone from his big orchestral to kind of a smaller, more sophisticated, like right. the small town sound, yes. the small, smaller, smaller uh, combo sound of this of this uh, instrumentation of mm-hmm. this song. But it still would have been a nicer. But you know what? Hindsight is twenty twenty, as they That's say. That's true. So you can't regret too much your mistakes, but uh, yeah, Ross doesn't have like a huge history. Right. She this was her big hit. She never really had another big hit besides okay. this one. It I think got to number eleven in the charts, which oh, is wow. pretty good. That is really good, especially for like a person's like this is their song. Yeah, yeah. It was like their her first big song. Mm-hmm. I imagine that's right, and yeah, for a black singer in the Hot 100 and Billboard in the yeah, 1960s. 1964. Yeah, yeah, that's pretty good. And so yeah, she started in gospel. She okay. sang as a child on her parents' radio show. Both her parents oh, were cool. preachers, and they had a radio show with a, and she sang gospel in there. And uh, when her father died, she she then moved to Chicago, and she signed to Sam Cooke's ra- label S A R Records. And then she um, she uh, signed to them, but she didn't release a single until uh, her, her first single, in, which was called Hard Times, which she released in 1962. And then she left S A R and signed with Chess Records. And in 1964, she released this song and, and had a big hit with it. And she did continue to perform, but she never, she kind of started kind of label hopping. And then right. she would just, then in the 70s, she, she, she was produced by her manager who then would kind of shop her songs around. And yeah, she just kind of, she, her career became a little unfocused, but she still sang, but she just didn't ever like kind of reach these heights again, which is too bad. But it is a really good song. You're right. You're right. It is. It's super fun. All right. So. Folks, we're going to head into a couple songs where I was like, why did I put this song on? <laughs> Mary, the next song is uh, Belle and Sebastian. Yes. What song? From their album, Fold Your Hands, Child, You Walk Like a Peasant. Mm-hmm. And the song is called The Model. This is from 1999. Okay. The year known as Space 1999. Let's give a listen to Belle and Sebastian. Here we go. About the times you turned the picture on to me and I'll turn over The picture was a masterpiece of comic timing You wouldn't laugh at all And I wondered what the boy was thinking The picture was an old collage of something classical The model with the tragic air Because without a doubt he given up the of somebody at his side I will confess to you Because I didn't think about the message As I walked down the alleyway It was a Sunday All my friends deserted me Because you painted me As the fraud I really was And if you think you see 
from putting on a blindfold When she knew she had been bad She met another blind kid at a fancy dress It was the best sex that she ever had You asked me a question a while ago when we were doing these shows, and you said, did you put Legal Man on this album? And I went, no. And you said, why didn't you put Legal Man on any of the mixtapes, Dad? Yeah. And I was thinking that when I when I heard this song come up, and I was like, I put Legal Man. Well, why did we choose the model? <laughs> you know what, Dad? Man. I have yeah. to say something. Yeah. I also thought, why did Dad choose the model? <laughs> yeah. I don't know what I was thinking about. I mean, I, I like it all right. It's got a harpsichord. It's, it's good. It's, it's cool. Fine. It's a fine song. It's, But yeah, it's just I like... The other thing is, I feel like if it was any, if it was a song by anyone else, yeah, it would be it would be good. Yeah, it's a Bounce Bastion song. Yeah, so it's fine. Yeah, because there are better Bounce Bastion songs. Yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, there's many, many better Bounce Bastion songs. Yeah, because they're so good. They <laughs> yeah. have so many great songs. I know. Yeah, and yet I put this song on there. Yeah. It is really. But I don't that know. that just lends to my uh, my theory that this is a B sides compilation. <laughs> I spent the also rans on you this were point. Like, yeah. You were like the hits? No. <laughs> <laughs> Not even my personal hits. Just yeah. Not like Legal Man was a big hit or anything. It's no. just yeah, it's just 
Yeah, I don't know. I don't know what I was thinking about. I really, I don't know. I honestly don't know what I was doing. No, I mean, it's it's fine. You obviously liked this song at the time. Sure. You obviously sure. liked it in this place at mm-hmm. the time. Yeah, yeah. So, that's, you know, that's there's how it that. Went. Yeah. But... And to be fair, Pierce never has never heard Legal Man, so he's not that's going true. like, why is it Legal Man on here instead of, instead of the model? <laughs> yeah, the other thing is he he's not, he's not aware that you... We're having a nervous breakdown. We're having a nervous breakdown, but also that you sent... Um, you know, songs to other people. Yeah. And he's, he was probably like, oh, well, maybe someone else got the legal man. <laughs> <laughs> but you know what, Pierce? No. No one else got the legal man. But you got the model. <laughs> yeah, it's weird. I admit it. Um, you know, it's, it's interesting. 1999 was a really busy year for Bell and Sebastian. Was it? They won Best Newcomer. At? I think the Brits. Oh, okay. Good for them. Yeah. Although this, they had just put their, they had already put out their third album. Yeah. They won Best Newcomer. Well, uh, they, they, you know, the British Pop Awards were like, we just found out about these guys. Yeah. That's so be, they're new to us. I guess that's what it was. Because <laughs> it says they beat up pop acts like Steps and Five. Okay. Whose name was spelt num- letter number five, I- I-V-E. Ugh. Five. Ugh. <laughs> uh, yeah. And I'm like, I'm like, yeah, I guess they beat them out, but. Who cares? Like, who remembers Steps? Yeah. And Five? Like, yeah. Like, boy bands are, like, just, like, you know, this, they're just, like, factory bands of the time mm-hmm. period, right? Um, they, but they also hosted their first and basically only Boldy Weekender. Okay. Which was a music festival curated by the band. That was, uh, it was a music festival curated by the band mm-hmm. uh, that was quirkily held at a Pontins holiday camp. Okay. In Camper Sands in Sussex. Okay. So holiday camps were these places that seem insane to me. Okay. They were like, you would go to these places. It's like going to like Camp Furcom. Yes. Actually. Where I used to work. Like you just go to this place, but it's full of cabins mm-hmm. that you stay in with your family. Yep. And then there's like organized activities that you do for yes. your, your week stay at this holiday camp. Yeah. And it might not be near this ocean. You may not like actually go swimming or anything like that. Mm-hmm. You're just like all the camps in Ontario. Yeah. Yeah. You just go to this camp and then mm-hmm. you just do your, you do your thing. It's weird. Why is that weird? And this is weird to me. It's just camp. I know, but it's weird. Like, as a kid, we never did that. We always just went to places. As a family, we'd just go to, like, a motel and we'd be at a lake. Oh, okay. And you go swimming in the lake or you go right. to the, and you'd hang around the beach and whatnot. Mm-hmm. There was no, like, organized set of things right. you had to do every day. But when you go... Or a person blew a whistle at six in the morning to get you up. I don't think they do whistle at six in the morning. I know, I'm just... But... Um, I'm in my imagination, that's what they do. With family camp, yeah. the nice thing is that there are people who will take your children away mm. and do activities with them. Okay. Will you go and do other things. Relax. Yeah. By that, I mean drinking. Yes. <laughs> I don't think... I think family camp, dad, kids, and mom and kids at the camp that I worked at was no alcohol. Okay. Okay. So, yeah, I remember reading about this in Moto magazine at the time, and I was like, oh, that sounds great. Mm-hmm. That sounds so cool. Like, it had all these cool bands playing at it. I can't remember yeah. all the acts now off the top of my head, but... This is like, you know, lots of great bands. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, obviously bands that would have been cool because right. Bell and Sebastian were cool. So yes. they would have been there. Cool bands. Although yeah. at this time, Bell and Sebastian were kind of like the enemies of the music magazines because they wouldn't do interviews. Oh. So they had that kind of thing where they're like, well, their music's good, but I don't really like them very much because you can't do interviews with them. It's a <laughs> snobs. Yeah. And they're kind of, their they're live acts are a real mess because they're, they're not really professional on stage. Okay. Like, I know you like their albums, but you should watch them live where they're just mess stupid <laughs> but guys i know you guys like him but if you hurt my feelings yeah what he wouldn't do an interview with me <laughs> that's right Stuart, <laughs> come talk to me <laughs> i left you with your voicemails <laughs> that's right voicemail i don't even have an answering machine i'm Stuart murdoch 
You have to send by telegram, sir. <laughs> I Stuart Murdoch does seem like the kind of person to be too anxious to have an answering machine. <laughs> we have a little girl visiting right now. I don't know if her voice is coming through. She's Yeah, she's... a neighbor kid is chasing our chickens around. Yeah. She's, just... she's friends with mom. <laughs> hi. How's it going, Avery? Are you doing are you saying hi to the chickens? Oh good. <laughs> So, um, she's wearing her rain boots today. That's Yesterday, good. she was wearing her snow boots. They were like big boots go up to her knee, really yeah. like furry. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> she's probably lost her shoes. Probably. Hey, mom. Uh, so yeah, so it was, they only did it once, but then it inspired this, uh, this, uh, festival called All Tomorrow's Parties. Okay. Which held the festival in the same place for about 10 years until they finally moved. Right. Because uh, I guess probably the size or maybe the, yeah. the camp couldn't host it anymore. And then they also released their fourth album. Fold your hands, child. You walk like a peasant. Okay. The title originating in some graffiti that Stuart Murdoch saw in the university washroom. Oh, okay. Cool. Um, now, apparently, the album was a real grind to record. Okay. And it took, more, it took them more than a year. And they just kept, like, like, they just worked and reworked the songs. They added strings. They'd remove the strings. They recorded the song. Then they re-recorded the song. They added instruments. They took off instruments. It just took forever. And, and it's kind of weird because... Stuart Murdoch says that they should have had a producer by this point in their career, but that he didn't want to rel- relinquish power. Like he didn't want to give up any kind of authority he had over the over the over the the recording process. At the same time, though, he had relinquished space on the records to other band members. So this this record had the most other people in the band singing on it. It had it had um, Sarah Martin singing. Mm-hmm. It had Isabel Campbell singing on it. Okay. It had songs by Stuart David, the bass player, right. and it had songs by Stevie Jackson as well okay. and Stuart Murdoch. What's strange is after this record was done, Stuart David left the band okay. to concentrate on his own band, Looper. Okay. And then during the tour, Isabel Campbell quit the band. Hmm. And I think that was more interpersonal than it was like musical right. differences, but she did leave. So it's interesting that when he kind of opened up the group to like, you can do more, they they said, okay, I can do more. I can do more by leaving. Bye. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So it's interesting. And then I was reading this um, on on the, the Spell and Sebastian website, they have this uh great little section called liner notes where he talks he gives like a little his own thoughts about each album and he's talking about this album and he says he says we did learn to play it better you know we did learn to play the model a lot better when he said that i was just like why did i put this song on this on this mixtape <laughs> it just further reinforced just the idea that, that that this version of it isn't as good as the live version that they they perfected later on you know i was like ugh, i do like it still i think it's a good song but it's just yeah i have to say i love bones fashion yeah this is not my favorite album. No, I agree with you. It, I don't think it has many strong songs on it. It's it was their weakest album, and and actually this is uh this is when I had a chance to see them in the best possible circumstances. They came to town and played at the Croatian Cultural Center in Vancouver. Oh, cool! So it would have been in like a small room. Yeah, and uh, it would have been great to see them. I've been there. I think. No, I haven't. No, not I've been there. to the uh, Anza Club. Yeah, the Australia, yeah. New Zealand. The Croatian Cultural Center is bigger than that one. Yes. Yeah, Anza Club's super small. Uh, yeah, and um, and yeah, but unfortunately, it was the same night as your birthday, so I couldn't go. Oh, what? You could have gone. Yeah. I've had many birthdays. Yeah, but that was pretty. That was early on for you. You would have been turning five. Oh, yeah, that's true. <laughs> so let's go to our next song, everybody. Let's leave this strange interlude behind. What was I thinking? The model. I like it, but do I like it more than Legal Man? No. Do I like it more than... I even like, no, I don't, there's a lot of songs I like better than this one. Anyway. Like every song on um, Dear Catastrophe Waitress. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. But yeah. I already, I'd already used a bunch of songs no, from that's that. Fair. So, okay. Let's go to the next song, everybody. This is uh, Lena Lovitch 
from her album Stateless that came out in 1978. This is Lucky Number. Here we go. Mary, do you have uh, any thoughts on Lena Lovitch? I didn't like it. You didn't like it? Nope. Why didn't you like it? I don't know. I just didn't like it. It's too kooky? Yep. Too, do you think it's like too intentionally quirky? Yes. I think that's a good way to put it. Hmm. Yeah. It's like, um, yeah. Okay. Well, I actually do like this song a lot. I figured you did because you put it on a mixtape. I put it on a mixtape. But I think the reason that I put it on is because I was looking for Jane Eyre and the Belvedere's. Oh, Okay. Uh, Yankee Wheels, which I really wanted to put on it on because I like that song so much. Right. And then this song was on the same CD. And I heard it and I went, oh, maybe I should just throw this on as well. Right. And so sure. I did. So, question. Mm-hmm. Uh, was this group also from Akron, Ohio? They were not from Akron, Ohio. Oh, okay. No, they were not. Uh, Lena Lovage, however, she was from Detroit, Detroit, Michigan. Okay. But her family moved to England when she was 13. So she did live in England when, when this was done. Her real name is Lily Marlene Premlovich. Uh, but she changed it to, she took out the uh, the Lily Marr and became Lena Lovitch. Uh, yeah, so when she was a teenager, she joined a, a band called The Diversions and sang with them. 
And she also co-wrote the lyrics to this song by this French percussionist named Sarone. He had like a kind of a disco hit called Supernature. And so she wrote the, the English lyrics for that. And then when the diversions broke up, she, she was looking for another band to join. And she didn't really know how you join another band. So she did something that I think is kind of weird. She wrote to a BBC presenter, okay. a DJ on BBC yep. named Charlie Gillette. And she said, can you find a band I can join? Okay. All right. Yeah. Can you connect me Step, to another band? Okay. First thing. Yeah. That's weird. It's a weird thing to do. <laughs> yep. Second thing. Hmm? How do you join a band? How do you find a band to join? Well, okay. When you're young, you play, you're in high school. Yeah. And so you know there's other people who are in bands. Right. And so then you, you meet up but with them. But what if no one in your high school is in bands? Well, then you have more trouble. But then there are places like, uh, you might go to like where they have guitar lessons or like music mm -hmm. shops. So they'll have a bulletin board there. Right. Where people put up little ads looking for people to join their, their groups. Right. You can look in the in like the musicians wanted section of a, of a local. Newspaper. Uh, usually they're in like a like a music press papers like okay. like say George Strait here in Vancouver they right. would have they would have had like wanted you know gotcha. cool drummer things yeah. of that right um and they, then they would say cool drummer and then they would say in the bottom like that actually cool we know all drummers think they're cool right and then it would say like no punks <laughs> no punks or no no uh, no metalheads or whatever right right yeah and so then yeah and so that's how you'd find people Right. So when I was when I was growing up, I would play with friends that right. had a, from high school. I would play guitar with them. Yeah. I mean, Duncan, write songs with them. when Duncan was in high school, he was in a band. Yeah. I put a band in quotation marks. Sure. I think they exclusively did Led Zeppelin covers. Oh, but I did he that with my friend school. as well. I did he that was, with my friend as well. You know. My friend could play all of Led Zeppelin. He could play every song by Led Zeppelin on his guitar. Wow. He's crazy for Led Zeppelin. And yeah. And he learned to play classical guitar growing up, so he could do the finger-picking stuff really well. Oh, yeah. Yeah, Duncan did classical guitar as mm. well. So then, yeah, he could do all that kind of stuff and then also play the... So in grade 10, we did uh, Stairway to Heaven and at, in uh, high school during, okay. during the band concert. Right. Was it... People like it? Sure. He was a really, really good guitar player. Okay. And I was a not very good bass player. Right. Because I didn't know what I was doing. Sure. I just was playing, playing it because he, he needed a bass player. Yeah. And then we had a really good drummer, mm -hmm. and then we had a guy who really hammed up the singing part of it. Oh, well, Which was fine. Yep. That's what you needed as well. Yep. So that was good. Um, My friend wanted me to sing it. Ooh. And I was like, nope. No. <laughs> not going to happen. Uh, we watched uh, School of Rock the other day. Okay. Duncan's really into music right now. Okay. Um, he's been playing guitar a lot. Oh, okay. Uh, cool. And yeah, we so we watched Whiplash. Mm. And then we watched Rocket Man. Okay. And then we watched School of Rock. Good movie. Yeah. Actually, I think all of those are good movies. Yeah. I enjoyed them all. I find whiplash hard to watch right it makes you tense makes you yes. anxious he's so mean yeah i mean like i know that's the point of it that's i get it <laughs> yeah but it still makes me uncomfortable yeah i agree yeah i agree but i don't think it's a celebration of the guy i mean some people are like no he's right well yeah they can think of that but i don't think yeah. the movie is saying that though no no yeah the movie makes makes you aware that this is a very he's a very small person yes who's trying to enlarge himself through through meanness yeah but it's a good movie anyway a well-made film. All of them are well-made films. I like Rocket Man a lot, actually. Yeah, Rocket Man was really good. Enjoyed it. Much better than. Yes. Yeah. I think that too. Yeah. Your mom would disagree, though. Well, that's because she likes Queen better than she likes Elton John. I guess that's it. I guess that's it. Whereas I'm kind of indifferent to both of them. Like, right. I, like I like Elton John. And I He's like got Queen. Some good songs. He's yeah. got some. They've got some good songs. That's right. They've got some good songs, but I'm not gonna like get married to either of them. Yeah. But uh, you're not gonna prominently display uh, "Goodbye Yellow Brick Road" on your on your uh, wall. Yeah. Well, that's it. Like it's kind of thing like. 
I have all of the records. I have all of Elton John's records right. up to a certain point. Yeah. There's a certain point where the yuck factor overwhelms the, the good sure. factor. But yeah, I'm not, and I think they're really good, mm. but you know, that's it. Yeah. That's it. I don't, I, I don't really, I don't, like, I don't know any Elton John deep cuts, for instance. Right. You know what I mean? Like, I'm not going to be like, oh, you got to hear such and such from this record. Right. Yeah. You're going to be like, oh yeah, I liked, uh, I'm still standing. Well, I don't. Yeah, that's kind of that's kind of I've already dropped off the bu- oh, jumped okay. off the bus by that point the I'm, moving bus. Yeah. But uh, yeah, it's kind of like yeah, I like his greatest hits basically. Yeah. Like I like Goodbye Yellow Brick Road. I yeah. like Rocket Man. I like yeah. you know. And I remember when um, I remember when Almost Famous came out and they're playing Tiny Dancer, mm-hmm. and I was like listening to it. And I was like, I don't think I know this song, Tiny Dancer. <laughs> it's weird. And then I went and looked, and then I was I can't remember which album it's on now. Maybe Mad Men Over the Water. I can't remember exactly which one it's on. And I remember looking at it and going, oh, yeah, it's it's on this album, but I forgot about that. Right. I guess this is weird. Maybe it's on Honky Chateau. It doesn't matter. One of those albums, right? Yeah. And, uh, yeah, it's just, yeah, you're just like, eh. Yeah. But, yeah, like, I just, Rockman, I think, is just a better movie. For sure. Yeah. Like, the acting's better. The, the actor actually sings the songs. The actor actually sings the songs. Yeah. actually, like, took vocal lessons. Yeah. I saw someone who was, like... He put on weight for the part. Yeah. He had to shave his he had to shave his yeah, hair. Yeah, went balding. Like every, I was like, man, like Taron Egerton, he really like like went for it. Yeah. You know, like he was like, yeah, like I'll look not great for this part. Yeah. You know. Yeah. Um, which I don't think I don't think every actor will do that. No, some actors, yeah, some actors would have trouble with that. I think. Yeah. Some actors not. Obviously, uh, um, that guy, Christian Bale, will uh, go in both oh, yeah. both directions. He'll yeah. go really, really, really crazy yeah. thin, and then. Put on weight for uh, yeah. for another movie, and uh, Robert De Niro, obviously, yeah. And I don't know if you need to do that, you know. I don't. He uh, Egerton didn't go over the top, but he no. did. You know, he'd put on some. Did yeah, put on but some like, pounds. yeah, it seemed like like his thinning hair and like weight gain were like re- realistic for someone who, yeah, was uh, letting their addictions get the better of them. You know. <laughs> well, I think he was always kind of a, a, you know, always on the kind of chunky side. Yeah, even, yeah, even was, as a young man. Yeah. But, I like I well I think it's fun at the end where you get to see all the pictures of yeah. like Taron Egerton in the role and then or like the the people who played him as as a kid yeah too and then see pictures next to Elton John yeah yeah it's good yeah it's fun it's a fun yeah. film and actually what's interesting about that movie is it's directed the director of Rocketman also directed Bohemian Rhapsody he took over for for the direction oh really when um uh that guy was let go what guy the original director was let go because of uh. Me Too uh, allegations, oh. but uh, he was apparently involved with young boys. Oh, okay. And so, yeah, there was a lot of a lot of allegations right. around that, and so he left the project. Not Kevin Spacey. Not Kevin Spacey. No, he's a he's a director. Okay. I can't remember his name now. It's not popping into my head because he's a person that you should probably just forget about. Yeah. No point thinking about him. Uh, for the time being, I guess. I, I mean, if he goes to jail and does his time, then wants to come back as a director, I have no problem with that. But right. If he's just going to spend his time avoiding. Apologies or yeah. taking uh, ownership of this thing. Yeah. And just try to pay his way out blah, of it. Blah. Blah. Yeah. Um, uh, but yeah, and then I also really like how Rocket Man is like a, it's like a musical. Yeah. Right? Like it's not. It's a full on musical. Yeah. Like they're not like going and like, oh, we're at a concert now and we're playing the song, right? Yeah. It's a musical. Yeah. yeah. Right? Which is super fun. Yeah. I like that too. Um, and yeah, like they really lean into it, right? There's like full musical numbers, mm-hmm. like costumes, special effects. Yeah. Like it's not. <laughs> it's really good. Yeah. It makes me want to watch it again. I know it's. I know it's on Amazon Prime. I yeah, think. Yeah. So no. Um, I like it for watch. 
Yeah, because Duncan and I had watched it a few months ago, mm. but then over the weekend we watched it with his parents again. Okay. His mom would like it. Yeah. Yeah. And did you appreciate it the second time? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was fun. Mm. Yeah. Okay, maybe I might. Might. There's other things to watch though. Yeah, that's the thing. Yeah. It's hard to <laughs> hard to legitimize watching something again, right? Yeah. Especially when you watch it recently. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I've got quite a few movies in my back pocket right now oh, I yeah. want to watch. So, so there. So there. All the all the Lone Wolf and Cub films from Japan, for instance. Oh, okay. I've been in a Japanese movie kick the last while. Mostly like a junk Japanese movie kick. Right. No Ozu, but like uh, yeah. a female prisoner number 701, which is on <laughs> right. uh, Shudder. Right. It's, it's crazy Japanese, women, you know, caged women film. Right. Yeah. It's good. And then uh, there's like, I watched three of those. There's one more I haven't seen. And then I started watching the Lone Wolf and Cub uh, okay. samurai movies. There's a, um, in uh, Bob's Burgers, yeah. there's a movie series that's based off of those. The the Caged the cage, no, cage no, no, Teat? No, um, no, uh, Lone, Lone Wolf, Wolf and Cub. Cub. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah. Oh. It's like um, Hawk and Falcon or something. And oh, it's, it's Japanese though? Yeah, yeah. Oh, cool. And it's, uh, yeah, and, and Bob and Louise really wa- like watching them. Okay. Yeah, and it's like a samurai and his like young protege. Yeah, yeah. Um, but it's like his young protege is his daughter. And so Bob and Louise like, uh, relate to it and they end up like meeting the, the actors from it later. Oh, cool. Yeah. Cool. Fun. Um, what else do I want to say? But I don't, I, mean, I have to admit like hearing the song, I, uh, uh, Lucky Number, which I do like the song, but just in this context, I was just kind of like, nah, right. blah, blah. I was like, you know, I guess, I guess my words were prophetic when I said that I just felt like. This was the sound of Dave running out of song ideas. Yeah, and uh, and I do I do really think that's why I took like months off before I started back right. again. Yeah, like I just needed to take it like clear my mind. Yeah, just kind of you just kind of you just you know you're just doing 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 and then mm. eventually you're just like I can't even think of songs anymore. Yeah, this is okay I guess. <laughs> I'll just put this here. This sounds good. That's, this sounds good, right, Dave? Yeah, this Dave. That sounds great. But uh, what's one thing that's interesting with Lucky Number was so so she went to Charlie Gillette. And she said, "I need to find a band somehow." And and he was like, "Uh," he said, "You know, you know, what I'll, you know what you need to do. Mm-hmm. I'll make a demo with you singing." And so he he chose a song. I think we're alone now, which I think was a Tommy James and the Shondell 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 song. And he got her to to sing it. And then he brought it to Dave Robinson at Stiff Records. And Dave Robinson said, "Okay, yeah, we'll put it out, or we'll we'll do a version of this." So so then they were, they did a version of "I Think We're Alone Now." And then he said, "Well, we need a B side." And so Lovich and she had a uh, boyfriend but named Le- uh, Les Chapel. They're still together, actually. And he was like her musical partner, basically. Right. And so, so Robinson asked them. He said, "You know, we need a B side for this, so we need something quickly." And so they wrote "Lucky Number" on the spur of the moment, and it was the B side of "I Think We're Alone Now." But then they realized, no, this song's really great. So they put it out as a separate A side. So it's a B side, and "I Think We're Alone Now," and then it was its own A side. Okay. And it did pretty good. It was. It did uh, did all right, I guess. But uh, yeah, she never really did much else after that. I was listening to this show, uh, Word in Your Ear. It's a podcast from with some of the people who have worked for Mojo Magazine and Q Magazine over the years and, and whatnot. And uh, one of the guys was telling the story that he... Oh, someone wrote in a story saying when they were a kid, they were at a train station and the Stiffs tour was coming through. And the Stiffs uh, was like a bunch of... Uh, a bunch of stiffs, a bunch of live, bunch of artists who were on Stiff Records. Okay. You know, so Elvis Costello, Ian Jury, Reckless, uh, Reckless Eric, people like that, and Lena Lovitch. And Lena Lovitch called him over to the train, and so this he was just like, like a young teenage boy, and he goes over and she's he goes, oh, uh, do you need something? And she goes, do you, here, do you want my autograph? And he's like, uh, okay. 
And so then she didn't have anything but his ticket. Right. So he gave her his ticket and she signed his ticket you know, yeah. to so-and-so from Lena Lovett. She gave it back to him. He's like, oh, great. Because now you have my autograph. And he's like, thanks, person. I don't know who you are. <laughs> and then he needed to get on his train. So he just immediately had to give the ticket to the conductor. And that was the last, yeah. that was the end of his autographed <laughs> ticket from Lena Lovett. This is kind of a weird story. Yeah. But anyway, it kind of, she has that kind of sound to her though, of someone who is like, just wanted to be known, you know, like right. I want to be in a group. How can I be known? I can, I'll write to this DJ and ask him how I can find a band to sing with, you know. It's an interesting story. Anyway, let's go to the next song, everybody. This is the Aphex or the Affex, mm-hmm. I'm not sure, with the song She's Got the Time, which was uh, came out as a single in 1967. Let's give it a listen. So that was the the Aphex or the Affex. I'm not sure which which name is accurate there. With the song, She's Got the Time. Mm-hmm. And uh, what do you think of that? It was a super fun song. I liked it a lot. Yeah. It's yeah. a real nice kind of freak beat song. Yeah. From, uh, I think I said it came out in 67. So yeah. So just kind of on the verge between Psych and, and uh, you know, like there's a, obviously these are all like, these kind of categories are are you know, they blend and they, they're, they're great, they're great gradients. Right. But, um, the, um, yeah. So like the, the, the change from like the, the kind of very, I guess you call it beat, 
upbeat music of the of the early 60s in England as mm-hmm. it's kind of started to change and become more psychedelic it still kind of kept its beat roots and so they called it freak beat and I think that song kind of falls under that uh, umbrella anyway the band were from Dagenham Dagenham which is in Dagenham? Essex yeah Dagenham Dave Dagenham Dave which song are you talking about the Morrissey one or the uh, I'm talking about the Morrissey one. Oh, the Stranglers also did a song called Dagenham Dave don't know it isn't that weird it is weird that Morrissey would just t- name a song after a song that was already done by a different band. Yeah. This is different. This is not a cover. Hmm. It's a totally original song. That's weird. I actually prefer his version. To the, but Dagenham Dave by the Stranglers is okay, but his is better. Um, yeah, and this was their only release. Wait, by the Stranglers? Dagenham Dave. It's no, the other song by the Stranglers. Grip. Which is called, no. No, it's called Grip. It's called Bracket, Get A, and Bracket, Grip. Wait, is it the bracket on yourself and bracket? Yep. Grip is the only unbracketed part of the, yes. the title. Yeah, like I was, was going to say, this was their only release. They didn't put out any other singles. Just this one single, but it's a pretty good song. But it's it's a cover of a song for, from a band in L.A. called The Poor. The Poor? Yeah. And The Poor were, I guess they did slightly better than the than the, the Affex. Okay. They put out four singles, including this one, which they their version was called She's Got the Time, bracket, She's, She's Got the Changes. Okay. That's what their version was called. And so the poor were uh, managed, ma- managed much like um, the band we were talking about last time, the Rose Garden. Okay. They were managed by Charlie Green and Brian Stone, who, of course, were connected to Buffalo Springfield and Sonny and Cher and other such groups. And so they, they managed the poor. but And the poor just did the four singles and they broke up. So there was four guys in the because band. Because they were poor? Yeah, I guess so. Probably. Because they only made four singles. Yeah. Uh, so there's four guys in the band. Randy Meisner. Alan Kemp and Pat Shanahan left the group and played in Ricky Nelson's or Rick Nelson's backing group, the Stone Canyon Band. And then later they would go on to join New Riders of the Purple Sage, Shanahan and Kemp. And Meisner would join Poco with Richie Furey from Buffalo Springfield. And then he would then go on. I think he was in. I think he was in um, Linda Ronstadt's backing band for a while, which then kind of morphed into the Eagles. Oh, okay. And so he was a founding member of the Eagles. Hmm. But the song itself was written by Tom Shipley, who was in a popular 70s group called Brewer and Shipley, best known for their, so- their, their uh, song, When Took Over the Line, Sweet Jesus. For whatever reason, Shipley wrote the song using the nom de tune P. Rich, and uh, Brewer and Shipley would later do their own version of the song on their first album, their first album uh, called Down in L.A. on A&M from 1968, but their, their version was called Time and Changes, so it's kind of strange. But I thought I'd play the Poor's version of it just so you could hear it because it's quite different. It's more like a folk rock version of the song okay. than it is a freak beat version of the song. Oh, weird. So we'll just give it a listen. And So here's the Poor doing She's Got the Time, She's Got the Changes, also from 1967. I had a girl, young thing. She had the time, she had Changing the leaving, all that I say and all that I'm feeling. 
All right, so that was the poor with uh, she's got the time bracket, she's got the changes bracket and bracket, as Mary likes to say. What do you think of that song, Mary? Which one did you prefer? Which was the better version? I thought the first one was better. The 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 affix a slash affix version was better. Yeah, I agree with you. Uh, yeah, it's interesting that yeah, to speed the song up, why are you why are you playing it so slow? Yeah, get some pep into your step. Mm-hmm. Although I did like the piano, that very deep kind of piano part that was played in in the in the uh, poor version. I like that sound. The poor's The poor's version, yeah. Uh, yeah, so there you go. So that's pretty good. All right, let's move on, Mare. Let's, okay. Let's move on to a band called Papa's Fritas. Papa's Fritas, okay. Yeah, the song called We've Got All Night from their album Helio Self from 1997. Okay. So here we go, everyone. This is Papa's Fritas with We've Got All Night. <laughs> Outside, clear your mind. Your folks aren't home, your brother's in bed. So you'll be fine, so don't be scared. Just call your friends, pick up the phone. So don't be scared, you're not alone. You're not alone. Pick up the phone. You're not Did you uh what did you make of Papa's Fritas? Um 
I thought it was a fun song. Yeah. It was pretty good. But a slice of glam. It had a real kind of glam rock of sound glam. to me. Yeah. yeah, I can see that. Yeah, it wasn't it wasn't spectacular. Okay. But I thought it was it was fun. Yeah. You know, it was fine. Yeah. yeah. All right. Hmm. Do you have much to say about this band? Why do you say that? I'm just asking. Not a ton, but uh there's some interesting little things about them. All I think right, it's... let's hear. So they're yeah, they're called Papas Fritas, which by the way, Papas Fritas in uh Spanish is French fries, basically. They're just it's oh, word okay. for French fries. Fritas being fried and papas being potatoes. Right, that makes sense. But it's also a pun. Okay. The the name of their music company, their, their publishing company, uh-huh. and their final compilation album it was called Pop Has Freed Us. Pop Has Freed Us. Yeah. Okay. Pop Has Freed Us. Gotcha. Gotcha. So, <laughs> so they, do, they do like the pun. They're made up of three people, Tony Goddess, mm-hmm. Shavika Astana, and Keith... Uh, Gendel. Okay. And uh, so uh, Goddess and Astana had met in high school and played together. And then when they both enrolled, they both enrolled in Tufts University. Mm-hmm. And that's where they met Gendel. And yeah, so they started, uh, they started mostly as like kind of a for a for fun band. Like they only right. had, they only had a couple of cassettes, just a couple of cassette only releases. But then they released a seven inch single and the record company said, well, do you want a tour? Do you want to promote this? And so they went on a US tour. Okay. And then the, Single did well enough that they got signed to a record company and they put out a couple of albums, a self-titled oh, wow. one. And their second album, which is what this song is from, their second album is called Helioself. And it's purportedly taken from the name of some Sun Ra sessions that were so powerful that they were sealed away in a vault at the request of Sun Ra himself because the world wasn't ready for that much harmonic energy. Okay. So, sorry. It's Heal Yourself? Helio, like sun. Okay. Self. Oh, Okay. Or, yeah, or it's just a dumb pun. Heal yourself. Yeah. <laughs> seems like something that they would do. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> so, yeah, so they did three albums, then they broke up, basically. Okay. Um, only Goddess remained in music. Astana got a master's degree from Boston University in public health. Oh, wow. And Gendel studied architecture at, uh, at Southern California, at the oh. Southern California Institute of Architecture. So Oof. That is a uh, pretty... Uh, academic band. <laughs> yeah, they really were. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And they have reunited a couple times just for fun, but right. uh, they they're not a working band anymore. I mean, it seems like they weren't going like they their passion or they they weren't planning on making it big as musicians anyway. Yeah, right. Like it seems like it just kind of happened to them mm-hmm. for sure. And the fact that only one of them is still in, in music, you know, kind of implies that maybe all of them weren't super committed to doing that. Yeah. Also, yeah. the fact that two of them went back and got master's degrees. <laughs> yeah. 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 He just got an email, I oh, think. Okay. So, okay. Mayor. Yes, Father. Now, traditionally, I like to reserve the second to last spot on a uh, on a, on a mixtape mm-hmm. for something that's just there for me. Just a little bit of fun. I have noticed that. A little bit of goofiness. Yes. A little bit of weirdness. Yeah. Often, we'll have Steve Malcolmus in there. It's occasional. Yeah. It happens. Mm-hmm. Uh, and because I do like, I kind of regard it as like... The dead spot on an album. So between the ending and the rest of the album, you have this little spot where it's just kind of like, do whatever you want. Right. Do whatever you want. And sometimes it can show like, a band might put a song there that they're ambivalent about, they're not sure about. So okay. for instance, uh, Yesterday by the Beatles is the second to last song on, on the album Help. Okay. So even though it became a huge song, right. they were kind of embarrassed by it because it wasn't like a rock song. It was a ballad. Right. And they were a rock and roll band. They weren't yeah. a ballad band. Mm-hmm. And so they were kind of ambivalent to the song. So they sort of like tucked it away right. on the album. And then there was a movie about the Beatles named after it. Yeah. Well, it's not about the Beatles, but a world without the Beatles. I mean, it's not about the Beatles. Okay. 
I mean, it's not about the Beatles, but the Beatles play a large role in the movie. Yeah, sure. It's about the Beatles' music. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, everyone knows that song. It's a, the most covered song by the Beatles. And uh, and so we're going to listen now. Yes. This is basically a warning, I guess, to everyone out there. <laughs> yeah, I like, I like how much you're front-loading this one. Yeah, this is All the right. this is the Mystery Jets. Okay. Uh, from their... It was an EP called Flotsam and Jetsam that came Jetsam that came out in two thousand and six, mm-hmm. which kind of like was a roundup of some of their B sides and whatnot. Okay. And this band really likes EPs. They like to put out Wait, EPs. Sorry, it was a roundup of their what? Some of their like random bits and pieces, like B sides and whatnot. Okay. Why? I'm just saying it feeds into my theory. Oh. <laughs> that this is your B sides album or your B sides right. mixtape. But it's like I'm rescuing the B sides. People, yeah, you're promoting people them. You're don't, elevating That's them. right. People don't don't pay attention to B-sides. And I'm saying, listen, folks, there's some good B-sides out there. Mm-hmm. And then there's the model. So <laughs> let's, let's... Sorry, Stuart. Let's listen to... Uh, it's a it's a good... I do like that song. I'm, I'm just really... Just, I'm, tweaking, I'm tweaking my own nose more than Bell and Sebastian's. Yeah. So let's listen to... Let's listen to mm-hmm. this song. Let's listen to this tale. Okay. By Mystery Jets. Okay. From 2006. And the song is called The Tale. Oh, T-A-L-E? Yes. Okay. All right. Here we go, everyone.
chants are fading You and I are saving men and women waving Drum rolls in the distance, people's chants are fading You and I are saving men and women waving Drum rolls in the distance, people's chants are fading You and I are saving men and women waving Drum rolls in the distance, people's chants are fading You and I are saving men and women waving Drum rolls in the distance, people's chants are fading You and I are saving men and women waving What? Oh, what did you think of the? Uh, what do you think of the Mystery Jets? Uh, I thought the song was pretty good. You enjoyed it? Yeah, it was a pretty fun it's, song. It's a, yeah, it's a goofy song, but it's, yeah, but it's it's fun. I mm-hmm. think yeah, yeah, yeah. So okay, so well, maybe we should explain to people. So you have been operating under the idea that this album ended with Bell and Sebastian. No. Oh, with who? The song after. The song after with Lena Lovitch. Yes. Was the final song. Yep. Okay. So when I said it ended with like a flat pan- pancake, you were thinking, oh, that was the ending. It was lucky number. Yes. Which is weird. So when you when I was saying that, were you thinking, well, it's kind of a peppy song. At least it's... Well, no, I was saying, I thought you meant flat pancake, like it kind of fell flat. Yeah. And I was like, yeah, I would agree with that. Like, okay. I don't think it's a very good ender. Yeah, yeah. Because I didn't like it very much. Mm-hmm. Right. So so you didn't realize that there was the Four Apex. Songs after. Yeah, the Apex. Yeah. She's Got the Time, mm-hmm. which is a pretty peppy song. Mm-hmm. And then um, the Papa's Fritas with yeah. uh, We've Got All Night, which once again, you know, kind of a glam stomper, kind of a fun song. Yeah. And then this track, which is, I don't know how to describe it, kind of this a... This weird a, fun. Just some weird fun. Yeah. Yeah. It's a band having some fun in the studio. And then and then the, the final song. So uh, let's talk a little bit about Mystery Jets. Not, not a lot, because they're pretty new. They were formed in 2003, so they haven't been around a, a huge amount of time. Um they are from Eel Pie Island, which is a fascinating place. Eel name to me. Pie Island. Island. Yeah. Where is that? It's in the Thames. It's an island. It actually is an island. It's in the Thames. Oh. So it's near London. Weird. And uh, it's accessible by footpath or ferry. Okay. But you can't drive a car there unless, unless a ferry takes cars, I suppose. A ferry probably takes cars. Yeah. It seems crazy that you could... Drive around on an island, yeah. Well, no, because if you lived there... Yeah. And you wanted to go and drive around on the mainland, you'd have to rent a car. Well, you could have parking on the, on the other side, though. Right. So then I guess you couldn't... Oh, yeah, because I guess you wouldn't be able to get your car in. Yeah. Because one thing in London is they often... People often... Ha- if they have cars, they often rent garages that are separate from their houses. Right. Because they live in flats and stuff like that. Yeah. So the, the architecture there, quite, it's quite different because it's a city that grew up without cars. Yes. So the cars are a, a, an add-on, not a not an integrated part of yeah. the city. 
Yeah, it wasn't like, oh, let's design this yeah. city to have wide paths for our cars. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. And have places to park and yeah. and buildings with parking in them and mm-hmm. stuff like that. So, yeah, so um, they originally began as the Misery Jets, which apparently was based on a, on a headline in the newspaper because Eelpa Island is in the flight pl- path for Heath... Uh, for um, Heathrow? Heathrow Airport, yeah. I was going to say Heathcliff Airport. <laughs> That's not that right name. <laughs> That's not named after the cat. He, like... The airport, it um, the airplane like flies in, yeah, and then flies out. And it's just bare bones. <laughs> and so then, uh, so then, yeah. Like so Cliff will take a fish, yeah, and like put it in his mouth and then pull it out. And it's all just fish. Bones. Yeah, it's just fish bones. Even the skull is still, but it's all intact. Yeah, so most amazingly yes. intact. Yeah, fish bones you ever seen in your life. Uh, yeah. So I guess the drummer was painting the name of the band on the, on the drum skin. And he, instead of putting it uh, misery, he put mystery. So they became the Mystery Jets. And uh, so when the band started, this guy named Blaine Harrison. So wait, question. Mm. Is it mystery with an I? No. Why? Oh, okay. Yeah. So this guy named Blaine Harrison, he began the band as the drummer. And his dad played bass. And then when the keyboardist left the group, Blaine moved to front man. He became lead singer. And then he also took over the keyboards. And his dad moved to guitar. Okay. And then they brought in a bass player and a drummer. But there you go. That's all I know about them. Cool. That's all you need to know about them. Yeah. Besides the fact that they wrote a cool song called The Tale. The Tale. All right. So we're going to finish up now. Last song. Last song, everybody. This is uh, The Shins from their fabulous album. Only one okay song on it. Shoots Too Narrow. All the rest of the songs are great. Oh. All the rest I of the songs are great. I it the other way. Yeah. Sorry. All the rest of the songs are great. There's one okay song. It's kind of a country song. I'm not a country fan, so that just makes Except it. Except for Lyle Lovin. It makes it. Yeah, but he's kind of, he's only sort of half country. Sure. Like, his songwriting is not necessarily country style. Yeah, so this is uh, St. Simon from Shoots okay. Too Narrow. Yes. From the year 2003. Let's hear it. Let's hear it. After all, these implements and texts designed by intellects of X to find, evidently there's so much that hides. Divine in ancient feeding lines Their sentiment is just as hard To pluck from the vine
All right, Mare. So I'm not going to ask you what you think of this song because I know you like the shins a lot. So I do. We've this, talked about the shins before. This song is, is in your positive side of the ledger here. Yes. But I'm going to ask you if hearing these f- uh, five extra songs or mm-hmm. four extra songs, mm-hmm. if it sort of changed your opinion of, of this of this, of this this mixtape. No. You still think of it as like a bunch of B-sides yes. thrown together by a desperate dad. No, well, I'm not saying thrown together by a desperate dad, but yes. <laughs> but yes, it was thrown together by. <laughs> well, no, it's just it, they. It's none of these songs. Yeah. Feel like songs, or maybe it's just hearing them all together. Yeah. It doesn't feel like they're hits. Yeah. You know, it feels like they are songs that would have been forgotten mm. a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. Not so much Saint Simon. Okay. I think that that's a standout. So you think I that's think, a good end? You think that's a good ender then? I think it. Well. I don't know if it's a great ender. Yeah, that's the problem. I thought, well, why did I put this at the end of this thing? What a weird song to put in it at the end. What was... Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. So I was just looking at my... Okay. Um. Yeah, like, it just... It kind of feels like, yeah, all, like, on the second side, yeah. at least, all of the songs, even the songs that I thought were quite good, like yeah. the Osmi Tonchis song. Yeah. Um, yeah, they just don't really seem like songs that you would remember a band for. Hmm. Maybe the only exception to that would be um, the soul song. Okay. The Jack, uh, Jealous Boy. Or Selfish One, sorry. Selfish yeah, one. Selfish One. Yeah. Yeah. Jackie uh, Ross? Jackie Ross, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, like that. But even that one, you know? <laughs> it was like good, but there's better similar songs. Okay. You know? Yeah. 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 Huh. But yeah, I don't know if that was because you were feeling tired of doing these mixes or feeling like you were kind of like at a loss for putting for songs. Yeah. Yeah. Or if you were going for some sort of theme no. or if that's just what you were liking at the time. Maybe that's just what I was liking and it sounded good to me at the time. But yeah, like in retrospect, I, I've got to say that I wasn't, I'm not super happy with it. But again, the, I think that the, the first side of this yeah. was spectacular. Yeah. It felt like every song was like a winner. Yeah. And then it just, for some reason, it just kind of, gets kind of weird in the back out. half. It petered out. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's what I meant when I said it just felt like Dave ran out of songs. Yeah. And you kind of disagree with me at the time, but maybe you agree with me now. Yeah, a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I just, like I say, when you're making mixtapes, it is easy to run out of steam. You know, you can often like, you'll get like five, five or six great songs in a row and then you're just like, oh, now what? Oh, now I've got to like think about what songs I want to put on because I'm not just like, they're not just falling into my mind automatically. Right. What should I put on next? How about I like this song by Usmatanches? Yeah, I'll put that on. Yeah, you yeah. Know? And sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I've got to say that in retrospect, I'm not entirely pleased with this. And the song that I, the song that I was thinking of playing as like, let's finish on it. Let's finish with a big song. Isn't one that I could actually do because I, I'm going to play another Chilliwack song. Oh, as yeah. the as the closer, and you can't and, have fly and, by night and yeah, and it's more of this is a gag that I'm doing this, right. not as a you know just sort of as a stunt, not as a as an actual solution to this yeah. problem. But I mean, the and, other thing is, I don't think you need a solution. Why? Because it's done. No, it's done. You like you've sent it out. Yeah. Pierce received it years ago, <laughs> right? Like listened to it. Yeah. Had his own opinions about it. Yeah. And it's done. Like you can try to fix it if you want, but realistically. There's no point in doing that. Yeah. Oh yeah. no, I don't. I don't intend to fix it. Yeah. What I want to do is give listeners a, a good, good a, closure. a good, cl- a good mm. closer rather than ending on Saint Simon, which is a song so, I like. It is a good song. But I don't think. So what you're saying is we're ending on a Chilliwack song two weeks in a row. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. 
because it's I want to. And I was listening to this song the other day uh, okay. for different reasons, but uh, right. And I couldn't use it for what I was thinking of, but I can certainly use it for uh, for this. For this, yeah. Sure. So you want to play it now? Yeah, let's play it. I don't so. think we have anything else to say about the shins. We've talked about them. Before. Yeah, we talked about them before. I have nothing to say. Yeah, we, we'll play it now, and then we'll okay. we'll close up the show. So what song is it? This song is blah 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 from their album blah blah blah. I have to look it up because I didn't look it up. I'm what song? Just... What's the song called? I don't know. No, I'll let you know when I when we play on the other side. Okay. All right. All right. I can't remember the name of the album off the top of my head right now. Is it Dreams Dreams? No, it's not Dreams 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 or Lights in the Valley. Not Lights in the Valley either. It came before those ones. Is it? This one came after. Chilliwack. This came after. It's uh, came after All Over You, and before Rocker Box, which is what preceded Dreams Dreams Dreams. Okay. But I can't remember the name of it off the top of my head now. Don't ask me why. Just a mind. Just a mind thing. My head sometimes. My head sometimes betrays me. I get that. All right, everyone. So let's listen to Chilliwack. This is uh this is I like to call this their prog rock out. So we'll give it a we'll give it a listen and uh, we'll be back when it's done. But give it 
Give it up. 
All right, Mare. So that was uh, that was Chilliwack. We ended with two Chilliwacks, so I don't. That's not legal, but that was just for the fun of it. Uh, I don't know how many times I'll have the opportunity to play an eight and a half minute song for people and have their attention <laughs> while I do it. Yeah. But I think it's a lot of fun. I think it's a fun song. Obviously, there's elements in there like the choral, the singing part of the the harmonies at the end of the song have like a kind of yes sound to me, but right. But yeah, they're obviously we're. Let's do our progressive rock song. It's a sweet. It's far side of the sun mm-hmm. bracket sweet bracket. Then it has three different sections to it. Right. So yeah, it's uh, it's good stuff. It's the first album with their new guitar player Howard Froze. Oh, okay. Or how you say that? The how you pronounce that uh, combination of letters O E in in that name F R O E S E. Um. Yeah. Who came in? Brought had some keyboard skills and also uh, played mostly played acoustic guitar. Oh, okay. With with the group. When he played live, he played acoustic guitar just to play that nice kind of acoustic rhythm bits. But yeah, it's uh it's a lot of fun. It starts off kinda of goofy and then it gets then it gets fun. Right, yeah. Then it gets totally. kinda of goofy again. Yeah. <laughs> it's fun. Yeah. It's like Canadian progressive rock, which you know, you can't can't quite I don't know. It's like we can't quite take ourselves seriously, so we just <laughs> have to do our, do it our way. Mm-hmm. But yeah, it was good. So there you go. That that was another Chilliwack song ever. And just to finish this out with a little but bookend both episodes with right. Chilliwack. Yeah. Why not? <laughs> so that's fun. All right, Mary. So, so any final thoughts about? Uh, no, I think I have. You've said said all. I've said all I have to say. <laughs> said all I have to say about it. All right, good, good. Well, then you can let our friends out there, our listeners, know how they may get in touch with us. Okay, so they can you you all, um, <laughs> y'all y'all can get in contact with us at sneakydragon.com on the message boards there, or at sneakydragon. No, sneaky d at sneakydragon.com or on Twitter at sneaky underscore dragon or on Facebook at sneaky dragon. There you go. Also on our website, there's our mailing our mailing address. That is true. If you go to the contact us page, you will find it there. Yes. So everyone, thank you for joining us once again in the Sneaky Dragon listening party rumpus room. Yes. Thank you all for coming. We always appreciate everyone who visits us here mm-hmm. and uh I'm going to uh, take my empty cup inside now. And Your empty cup? Yeah, I finished my drink, so I'm going to take oh. it inside. This felt like a long episode. Uh, I think partly because we, well, because we had to kind of stretch it out at the end there because you hadn't heard all the music before oh. the show. I also think we talked about the first band a long time. Who was the first band? Nick Lowe. Nick Lowe? Oh, yeah, we did kind of talk. Like well, an hour. We interrupted ourselves a lot, though, with other okay. other things. So. Right. All right. Well, <laughs> it's your usual way of talking, that's right? That's true. That's true. <laughs> what are we at? What are we at? We're at, um, oh, wow, four and a half hours. Yeah, I said. I just, I told you, I checked the time. It's five o'clock now. We started recording at like one thirty. Yikes. Yeah. Another long show. Let's call this our quarantine special. <laughs> I guess so. Oh, that's a problem. Anyway. Anyway. Uh, I guess I can cut it into two parts? No. No, I'm not going to do that. All right, well, Bye. Let's not let's not the not let's, let's not sit back. I'm gonna sit back, Mary. I'm gonna sit back. Oh, you know what I was thinking about the other day, Mary. I was thinking, why don't we ever see the.